0: and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. My name is Rory McNamara. Yes, I have returned the... I mean, after all, I might as well do it this month. It's not as if anybody else is coming back for SummerSlam 2002, is it? However, in the spirit of collaboration to which you have become accustomed over the last many years, there will be some serious dividing and conquering going on for this show. All of us doing our bit to bring you the very best coverage of a pay-per-view that might well be described as very best again in about two hours time. The for now, though, let me introduce you to the team. No strangers to helming proceedings themselves, of course. They are Eric Landstrom. Eric, hello. Uh,
1: I would say a very good crop of presenters for a very good show.
0: Dan Welling is here. Dan, hello.
2: Hello, Rory. It's good to have you back in the saddle after such a long time. You've been very well missed. Check in post.
0: And Chris White, how are we?
3: Very well, thank you. Good to have you back.
0: At this point, we would normally bring you news headlines and viewpoints, but as I am sure you have already heard, there is only one piece of news that we can realistically give reference to here. Some of the more interesting tidbits I will hold back for next month's podcast, but for now, we are just going to deal in what are very cold, hard facts. We are not going to attempt to analyse the following, because what is there to analyse after all? I'm just going to quote verbatim from the Pro Wrestling Torch, as dated August 24th, 2002, and then we're going to move on as every word really does speak for itself. Here we go. I should say I have edited this report, but I have not amended or augmented Pro Wrestling Torch cover story. Steve Austin arrested on charges of assaulting wife Deborah by Wade Keller, editor. Steve Austin, real name Steve Williams, turned himself into local authorities in Bexar County, Texas on August the 13th, after being formally charged with hitting his wife, Deborah Williams. According to the police report, Deborah, 42, alleges that on June the 15th at around 4 a.m., Austin, 37, struck her with his hand and shoved her head with his hand. Austin, accompanied by lawyers, was booked in the basement of the Bexar County Courthouse on Tuesday afternoon. He was charged with misdemeanor assault and released after the posting $5,000 bond. Austin refused to ask questions from media as he left the police station, uttering only, Nothing happened. I'd rather not comment right now before walking away. A court date has not yet been set for Austin. He could face up to a $4,000 fine and a year in prison if found guilty. On June the 15th, police arrived at Steve and Deborah's home and found Deborah standing at the front door crying. She told the police that her husband hit her several times after an argument and then drove away after she called 911. She told the officers she was nervous because her husband is famous. She said she couldn't believe he hit her. Austin called his home from his cell phone while the police were interviewing his wife. He talked to them, but at the time refused to turn himself in. A uniformed police technician noted that Deborah had a swollen cheek under her right eye and bruises on her back, apparently from being shoved. She refused transport to a hospital and her condition, according to the police report, was good. The warrant for Austin's arrest was not issued until a judge signed off on it on August the 12th, the day before he turned himself in. The incident took place almost two, four months earlier, but Deborah at the time reportedly opted not to file charges. Steve and Deborah married in September 2000 in Las Vegas, Nevada. As a result of his fame, despite being out of the wrestling business since a few months ago, he was a target of jokes and criticism across many media outlets. For instance, a morning radio station in Minnesota aired a spoof of Austin being questioned by authorities. Every time he was asked about the incident with his wife, he answered what? WWE even issued a statement on its website stating that Austin had been arrested. It then pointed out that he is not part of the active roster. Jim Ross has said that Austin's contract has been suspended, but what that means isn't clear other than he's still under contract, but probably not getting paid due to his walking out on the company, thus breaching the contract. WWE added that they have no more information on the situation, but closed by sending their best wishes to Deborah and Austin during this difficult time for them. Numerous friends and colleagues of Austin say that while he was active in WWE he showed signs of having chemical abuse problems. Austin, according to colleagues was hesitant to seek treatment in part because if he stopped drinking he would and I quote no longer be stone-cold Steve Austin from
4: the mouth of the it's coming right out Oh my God Hollywood oh, Hogan is hurt. The blood trickling from the Bust. mouth of Hogan. Hogan's busted up on the inside. He's getting the life squeezed out of him. The arm goes down that time. You say pretty man. The arm down a second time. As it goes down a third time, uh, he, he isn't. This is it's over. Hollywood, Hulk Hogan can't continue. This monster has squeezed the life out of Hulk Hogan. Our uh, left goes rock. You got your shot at some your winner of our next big thing. Let go of him, damn it! Hogan is hurt! And look at that thick Paul Haman shouting instructions to right, we'll Lesnar. Hammond's will he- 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 get him all and will get Brock Why right, wants to celebrate the fact that Lester's going to SummerSlam to beat the Rock for the undisputed title. This Rock Lesnar is focused, primed, pulp, and ready for the rock at SummerSlam first at f5 and then and hollywood hulk
0: hogan seems to be bleeding from the mouth blood is flowing from the mouth so just before we hit SummerSlam 2022 2002 we've had a bit of a request from one dan welling for something to talk about prior to that and as a co-presenter on this show i couldn't really turn him down uh, it was a <laughs> nudge nudge wink wink a match that took place on the august 8th edition of smackdown between brock lesnar and hulk hogan another one for the bucket list In which, after a bit of the Hogan nonsense, because you've got to have that, haven't you? Brock Lesnar won in, I'm pleased to say, rather decisive fashion, uh, with a bear hug of all things. So there's a lesson in there somewhere. He then proceeded to set about Hogan with a steel chair following the match. And then, as you do, chose to rub some of Hogan's blood over his chest. And you really don't know where that has been. (laughs) Done. You better have something good to say about this one, because I think my description there rather sums it up. But I have a feeling you have a bit of context to flesh it out with. So go ahead, my man. Well, the the thing you missed is that this match
2: was billed as a number one contendership where Hulk Hogan, if he won, would replace Brock Lesnar in the main event of SummerSlam. And given what I said about the man um, on Backlash 2002, you can imagine how terrified I was that this would actually happen. And I will admit that Hulk Hogan has been in much more giving mood this, you know, short run. He made Kurt Angle, you know, made him, you know, fully, you know, give him the, give him the rub and let him tap out, which is something I'd never thought I would see. And now the fact that he's kind of, you know, dropped the tag belts as well. So I was just a little bit more, Optimistic, but there's all every single part of me for the last six years has thought no, this guy, knowing what he did with The Rock at WrestleMania and the still beloved reaction he's getting from the crowd, would use every single bit of sinew of political know how that he can muster to insert himself into that title match at SummerSlam. So I was absolutely prepared to see Hulk Hogan win this match and to see him get the ever-loving shit not out of him is honestly probably one of my favourite moments in wrestling. So, yes, I just wanted to say that. So So
0: that's why you wanted to talk about it. Uh, Anybody else got anything to add to that? If indeed there is.
3: Yeah, I mean,
0: I I feel like
3: because the fear is so great that Hogan's going to do a Hogan and politic his way into this main event one way or another, at, uh, the SummerSlam main event, I should say, that we're kind of like giving him a lot of credit almost for what is ultimately. Pff, it, it wasn't optimal, I would say. Like, the finish really annoyed me. Like, a guy like Brock beating Hogan should have felt like a huge deal. But because the bear hug just went on for so long and, like, the, the crowd, it, it, was, it was so flat. It was really flat, and I know they tried with the like the stuff after the match with the blood, but like it would have just been so much better if he'd covered him and just got the free after he hit the f five with the distraction because you've got the distraction in there, like you don't need like I, I i don't know have him passing out in a bear hug like it went on for too long and the crowd was really flat, and genuinely it set the energy out of the crowd more than the hulk hogan like i I thought it was a really nonsense finish that like. Didn't do everything it could have for Brock, and it still didn't really do anything for Hogan, obviously either. Like I, I just like it. It made the whole thing weaker, and and it annoyed me greatly.
1: Uh, uh, I I would have preferred that Hogan actually used his clout a little bit more and stole a pay per view main event out of this. I mean, it's Hulk Hogan, like he can still sell a pay per view main event. He's already done it. Twice this year already um, in, in you know decent Fashion and so um, I, I Guess that the fact That the Fed appears to be burning Through these potential Lesnar opponents I mean the whole deal with Austin wanting to do that on Raw I think And then now putting him Against Hogan On Smackdown and Having him do the J.O.B. to Lesnar On Smackdown you know There are some pretty dim months in the WWEF uh, pay-per-view catalog. And we're about to enter some of them in September, October, December. Historically have been pretty rough. And hell, even Survivor Series is always a coin flip, right? All the, you know, there's backstage shit happening with Hogan too. And, you know, be that as it may, but I'm really disappointed to see that You know, Lesnar clearly seems to be the guy that they're trying to go with. And they've basically robbed him of two marquee opponents in Austin and uh, Hogan that could be used to sell, or even, you know, maybe if you're pessimistic about the Hogan, steal a main event and get some buys out of it and make it seem more important than a match on SmackDown. Main events on pay per views are inherently more important than matches on SmackDown, they just are. I would have preferred Hogan use his clout a little bit more here to get a main event out of it, because I think it would have benefited Lesnar more too.
0: Not that there was much chance of that happening, because it looks like Hogan is done by the sound of it, at least for the time being. Is this where I play in Fiesta by the Pogues? But yes, this was his last match, at least for now. Uh, He was supposed to be on the Tour of Australia. What's what's called the Global Warning Tour, is it? (laughs) Uh, Shoot the marketing man. Hogan was supposed to be on that one, and he... Very, very late in the day, decided against it. Uh, Hogan says that his back is legitimately hurting him. Mm, Boy who cried wolf, maybe. And I quote from the torch again. Sources say he has not been happy with Vince McMahon ever since his WrestleMania check arrived and was well below what he considered fair. A lot of words doing lots of heavy lifting there, I'd wager. Let's move on to the SummerSlam we do have, shall we? And if there is any more on Hogan, yay, I'll bring it to you next month. But we've got a pretty good pay-per-view to talk about. Spoilers. SummerSlam 2002 from Long Art. No, sorry, do that again. From Long Island. There we go. Got to pronounce the G. See, I'm from Birmingham, but I'm not. I'm from Birmingham, right? That's when you know, you know when you're from the place when you pronounce the G. Eric, one of our OGs on this. Oh, fucking hell, that's terrible. Just give us the results of SummerSlam, please, mate. <laughs>
1: Sure, I'll do that. Uh, all quips to <laughs> side. Uh, okay, yeah, here we go. From the Nassau Coliseum in Long Island. In the match we didn't see and won't talk about, Spike Dudley went over Steven Richards. Um, and then on the main show, uh, we saw Kurt Angle defeat Rey Mysterio, uh, Ric Flair defeat Chris Jericho, Edge went over Eddie Guerrero. We had the Un-Americans, which is Christian and Lance Storm, retain the WWE Tag Team Championship against Booker T and Goldust. Rob Van Dam defeated Chris Benoit to capture the Intercontinental Championship. The Undertaker defeated Test. A returning Shawn Michaels defeated Triple H in an unsanctioned, uh, I guess, street fight. And in the main event for the WWE Undisputed Championship, Brock Lesnar defeated The Rock to capture the championship.
0: I told you, I told you. Dan, your opening thoughts on SummerSlam 2002.
2: So everyone's been saying, yeah, we've got a pretty good pay-per-view to talk about. And I think that is drastically underselling how good this show is.
0: I've got to try and keep people listening, Dan, come on. Chris Weiss, what did you think of this show? Yeah, I'm. I I'm, mean, I'm I mean, I'm
3: in agreement with Dan. It was a, a great pay-per-view. It had uh, one of my favorite matches of the year so far. Uh, a great opener, very newsworthy main event. Um, the Undertaker match was a, a weak point, but and then there was some some nonsense later in the show that like was pretty minor in the grand scheme of things, I suppose. But pretty much top to bottom, this was a really, really good pay-per-view.
0: Eric, what have we got?
1: I think every match on this show probably delivered or over-delivered for what it was, um, and I think that this wasn't an, an incredibly watchable 2:45. Uh, going back and watching it again, I'm not sure that there's a particularly great match on this uh, card. Um, a lot of the things that struck me from the outset uh, really didn't hold up on a rewatch. But again, I agree with the with the panel. This is a very good show, and in my opinion, I think it's greater than the sum of its parts.
0: Sounding very, very similar to your WrestleMania 17 opening thoughts, but we know where we got you by the end of that one, don't we, Eric? So enjoy it while you can. (laughs) I'm just going to say this for now. It's a toss-up between SummerSlam 2002 and the Interpol album Turn On The Bright Lights as to what the best thing to come out of New York was in this month, August 2002. Dan, you have your angle against a sort of newcomer.
2: Yes, it's Kurt Angle versus, on his very first pay per view match for the WWE, Ray Mysterio. Um, just adding to the list of ex cruiserweight WCW legends that are coming into the company. Uh, Angle's out first. Ray's music hits, but there's no sign of him on the entranceway. And that's because he's behind Kurt on the apron and he, he hits him with a springboard head scissors to kick off this match. A dropkick is followed by a monkey flip. And Angle and Mysterio trade near misses of their finishes before Angle pulls Ray out of the ring hard for a break after a really quick electric start. A vertical suplex, a hard German suplex and a clothesline followed by Kurt showing off his superior strength. Ray tries to twist into another head scissors but Angle holds him firm for a side slam before locking in a single leg crab. Another couple of hope spots by uh, Ray before a lovely belly to belly suplex by Kurt cuts that off. The straps come down, but his angle slam is countered into an arm drag before Ray low-bridges Angle, who flies over the top rope. The ref, for some reason, stops Ray flying over the top rope to a prone angle on the outside. But whilst he's checking on Angle, Ray hits a huge rolling senton, which gets a holy shit chant from the crowd. Clearly, there are no WCW fans in the audience tonight. (laughs) A springboard leg drop only gets two from Ray. Angle catches another springboard attempt into the ankle lock, but Ray hits a spinning kick in fr- in, uh, to fight him off. Angle's now pro on the ropes. Angle hits a 619 a West Coast pop, but only gets a two count for a very close near pull. A spinning wheel kick before Ray heads up to the top. Angle runs the ropes, but this time Ray is able to backflip out of that attempted arm drag. Ray goes back up to the top, looking for his top rope, huracanrana, But Angle gets out of it and locks in the ankle lock. After a brief flurry of trying to escape, Ray taps out and Angle gets the win. In just under 10 minutes. Uh, so, Chris White, what did you think of this opener? I,
3: I thought this was great. Uh, one of, I, As far as I can remember, like, as good of a pay-per-view opener we've had for a while. Uh, an absolute sprint they worked at a really fast pace and didn't really slow down and the type of match when it was over I was like I could have I could have seen another 5-10 of that and been perfectly happy I mean uh, obviously Rey Mysterio's first WWE or, or F, we should say like but uh, first pay-per-view match and I don't think coming in and losing to Angle who's been one of the best wrestlers in the world the last couple of years, doesn't any harm really. I mean, the prospects of someone like Ray Mysterio in Vince McMahon's company are, are probably limited anyway. Like, like when we're talking to the highest echelons of the card and stuff. Um, but performances like this will do him no harm when he can go in there with guys like angle and, and put on matches like this in, in 10 minutes. And, uh, the, the crowd really enjoyed it. Um, Ray was really popular, uh, like, yeah, loved it all. I, I mean, it was a shame, just a real shame that they just ever so slightly slipped out of the ankle lock on the finish, as I think that would have been one of my favourites of the year. I reckon, in terms of like how how good that finish could have been if it had just been if it had come off perfectly. It was it was just a, an unfortunate slip out of it, I suppose. But obviously, like the, the, with the two men being who they are, it was recovered in seconds. But yeah, really enjoyed this,
2: Eric. Over to you.
1: it says a lot about the quality of the match when something like you know a minor slip up on the on the finish uh, is something that's worth bringing up but i think it's an excellent point because this was a a really really good match um i don't really have much more to add to what whitey said other than you know i've seen some complaints here and there uh on the internet about ray losing his first match uh or his first high profile match i guess in the in the fed and I think it's just important for context that you need to consider where Ray was when WCW closed and really where Ray's been for the past four or five years. Like we all love to remember that Eddie Guerrero match at Halloween Havoc, but that was in 1997. That was five years ago. And there have been matches here and there that he's been involved in that have been decent since then. But I struggle to remember any really relevant Ray Mysterio moments in the last four or five years in general. So the fact that he's coming in here, he's clearly got the WWF machine behind him. He's got a, a you know a, an updated presentation. He's got the mask back on and he went toe to toe with the best wrestler in the company for 10 minutes. Everything here was was correct, e- even the finish. And, and I think Ray Mysterio's future in the Fed is brighter than we would have ever guessed uh even even 6 months ago. I really enjoyed this match and I think it even though he lost, uh, I see good things for Rey Mysterio based on how this all went down.
0: Rory? Yeah, the only people complaining that Rey lost here are the people who want to complain that Rey lost here. Nobody else cares. And that Rey himself is even bothered, and nor should he be. And I agree with Eric. I think he's in pretty safe hands in the WWE, to be honest. They've been trading his return for a very long time. Early June, I think it is, and he actually made his debut Proper towards the end of July. So they've got big plans for him. Again, we need to temper them. This is WWE. We know who's in charge and all of that. But I don't think it could, could have gone any better for Ray so far, other than having to face Chavo Guerrero in his opening match. But what are you going to do? Can you believe there are people on the internet, almost certainly the same people who complained about Ray losing, who don't think her Angle is a great wrestler? I know, right? We've all got opinions, but we all know what opinions are, don't we? Uh, Very, very one-dimensional, and he's only really got a go, go, go style, whatever that means. When you push them on that, they never like to tell you, do they? Well, if anything is going to change their mind, and I hope it bloody does, it should be this nine and a half minutes. Angle worked completely differently in this match to anything I can remember him doing over the last three years. He was basically a cruiserweight in there, and I don't mean he was doing flippity-flops and... 720 splashes and all of that sort of thing no he just wasn't wrestling like a heavyweight it was as if he thought the only way i'm really going to take on ray is if i try to pun intended get down onto his level and other than the ankle lock at the end angle was doing things you don't normally see from him he was trying to keep ray ray grounded but not just through the normal suplexes and belly to bellies or they were in there of course but they were a means to an end rather than you know him just ticking boxes which he never really does anyway of course but i'm trying to meet these people halfway i'm probably failing i didn't even notice the slight botch on the finish i must be honest because i was so caught up on this it was a very different style of match for the wwe i'm not sure if even ray is going to be permitted to work that style too often but if he's going to have people as generous as kurt angle then i think we're going to be in business only the brevity of this match can be criticised, but I think we might just get to see this again in a longer format down the line. But for a sub-10-minute opener on an A-level pay-per-view, I don't think you can or should ask for more than this. I'm slightly loath to call it one of the best pay-per-view openers of all time, even though it is, simply because it was under 10 minutes. But, ah, oh, bucket, caveats be damned. This was fucking great. What a brilliant opener.
3: Rory, what you're saying is we... Need to pray that they keep Ray away from The Undertaker for as long as possible.
0: Well, not in so many words, but well, fucking yeah. (laughs) thing is, I try. You you make it hard for me, Chris. I'm trying to be the better man here, but you just keep dragging me back in. Look, the amount of big show prompting (laughs)
3: that's come my way over the years, I feel it's fair to give it back when it comes to The Undertaker.
2: I completely agree with all of your points. Just for some historical context, I think this is top three in WWEF openers ever. I, Brett Owen at WrestleMania ten, lock that in. But what else is better than this?
1: Orange Door from Morocco?
2: Rumble 91 is the only other match I could think of that was in contention for this. I'm I'm waiting for you, Eric, because... <laughs> you you have more historical knowledge of the wrestling industry than i do but like when you when you say it like that i think this match goes up another a notch even more so than than normal because yeah i thought this match was worked brilliantly it was a great showcase for ray um and kurt angle i I honestly had never heard of these comments before Roy until you just mentioned them because that oh they're out
0: there they're out there (sighs) That, this that is me Chris, White is tells Chris White tells me to stay off the internet and I've got to start listening to him on that one
1: <laughs> so I pulled off the, the almanac and I would say that Brett Nguyen I don't think is debatable
2: um, yeah, that, that is a clear number
1: one but but I think this match is equal with Bret Hart Hakushi from In Your House 1
0: I'd say it's better than that I think that's better. I mean, that's, that match itself is probably in the conversation but i take this one over that one yeah.
2: I mean, I'm not going to go into um, I'm not going to go into specifics. But my po- my general point was, if you're locking in a top three all time great opener in a company, you're doing something pretty good. Yes. So backstage, the Stephanie McMahon is talking to a production hand about the match. And that is why SmackDown is the superior brand. As she heads into the general manager's office, though, Mr. Eric Bischoff is waiting for her. He says that as we are on neutral ground, he suggests that they watch the rest of the show together in the office. Get a pen, paper and be ready to take some notes. And speaking of taking notes, Rory, it's over to you for our next match.
0: Uh, This is what I've missed. Okay, so after Jerry Lawler says that he is here to represent the raw portion of SmackDown in a lovely little Freudian slip, we are into our next match. Chris Jericho emerges, and as he does so, my wife calls him Jesus Gone Wrong. Which is doubly appropriate when you see the terrible job of raising the dead he performs in the next 10 minutes. Well, you all know, sold that one, probably just as well. Thank you. As we then see footage of Ric Flair storming the stage during a Fozzie concert last week. John the Postman, he ain't. Flair is out to the 91.3 version of his music, which is fucking dreadful. Lock up to start, which oh, goes straight to it. the Oh, stop it. It's glorious. It's How dare you? No, it's, it's the amazing. Uh, it's a midi version of. Ah, oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Oh, Eric, you're testing me today, my man. Lock up to start, which goes straight into the buckles. Flair puts his dukes up to block stomach punches, which should tell you everything. We get a very tired woo, as Jericho calls him a son of a bitch, and loads up a back body drop. Side suplex next, but he misses an elbow, and we are straight into the chops. Already? Y2J skins the cat back in, but he gets sent down with, well, a chop. Poking the eye by the king of the world and then big chops of his own. I think we get the idea. Flair can't quite do the fair flip in the corner and gets clothesline straight out as punishment. Slam onto the security wall outside, and then a big axe right down from the top rope. The cameraman gets a very close view of that. Y2J with a hot shoe shuffle until Flair blocks and counters with, ah, you know it. Big clothesline sends the nature boy down for a two, and now off comes a turnbuckle pad. The Lionheart chokes Rick with the wrist tape and Flair counters with... No, I just can't be asked saying it anymore. <laughs> uh, Flair gets round on the middle rope and even Jericho is just repeating the same insults now. He goes up top but Slick Rick catches him and slams him down. <laughs> Jericho misses the charge and even JR, politely, claims how pissed off he is with Flair here by stating the Nature Boy is dancing with what brung him. The problem is the reception finished a long time ago. Jericho reverses a suplex into the walls, but then Flair reverses two and gets a close near four from a cradle. Sort of-ish bulldog by Jericho before he misses for lion salt. No comment from me on the offence until Flair tries a half-crab. And then Jericho with a figure of four. They really telegraph that one. But to his credit, Flair does sell the pain well before scrubbing to the ropes. But after he gets to the ropes, he taps, which I don't like. Jericho doesn't either, but he crashes and burns off a knee charge. Flair with a diabolical low blow. And equally diabolical is Jericho submitting to the figure of four within the same amount of seconds. Eric. Now you've already disappointed me once by saying you like Flair's WWF slash E version of his music. No pressure.
1: Yeah. Uh Rick defeating <laughs> so Chris Jericho <laughs> with a low blow in a figure four. Seven stars. Back to you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, that was uh an
0: I, easy setup.
1: I don't know if you're drinking from the welling well or anything like that, but you and I are just on different pages today, my friend. Because uh, my notes here are as follows: Flair looks good. Um, Fozzie does suck. I agree with Jim Ross. Now, that, that we got uh, somewhere. This match was much better than I expected. And uh, yes, indeed, uh, Flair winning with a low blow and a figure four is personally worth seven stars.
0: That's the thing I like about you, Eric. You don't let personal feelings come into your match analysis. You're totally impartial.
1: Oh no, wrestling is completely objective.
0: <laughs> Exhibit A, B, and C. Chris White.
3: It's it's funny because I mean we've already discussed the the internet and the the people that exist on it, and I don't know if any of you will be familiar with the the murmurings on the internet that surround the the finish of this match that. Jericho himself is said to have sort of petitioned to have the finished change from like a quick roll up to the figure four because it, it, and this is where this, this report, all the credibility just is completely shattered. It's reported that Ric Flair has been going through some confidence issues and uh, not that, yeah, Flair doesn't really strike me as the guy that could, could ever go through such a thing. But, um, and as such, Jericho wanted to, like, put him over a bigger way. So he he, he was the, the one that had the finish changed to a figure four, which I find, like, I don't know, like, it's the internet. Take it for what, what it's worth, you know. But nevertheless, it's now been noted. Uh, I, yeah, I, I thought this was probably a better match than I expected it to be. It didn't, like, click up into gear, but, like, Flair's in his 50s, you know. What What are we expecting at this stage? Uh, it did feel like a pretty big win for him I have to say but I think the flip side of that is that it felt like an even bigger loss for Jericho I know we've got the low blow in there but like the the fall from undisputed to, to here is is pretty sharp I think and uh, I mean if we're going to get uh, some more whiny complainy heel Chris Jericho like I think that's probably as effective as he is at the minute like As a as a persona, so like I'm I'm for that, but yeah, his stocks not it's not it's not great at the moment. I I I think.
0: Flair suffering with competence issues. Hmm, that's one for the Sundays. Damn.
2: Yeah, normally I'm definitely Team Rory over Team Eric in this podcast, but I I feel like I'm more on the side of Eric be honest in terms of the match quality i'm afraid I, I was actually pleasantly surprised by how competent this match was involving a late autumn rick flair um and maybe yes he was doing the classic rick flair offense but it's like you know it's like led zeppelin the classic offense is still bloody good so when it's done reasonably well and up and executed by someone who can sell it it does work reasonably well and i think this is probably Flair's. like i don't want to say his, his his optimum because i don't think he's obviously not gone in there yet with someone like kurt or him, someone like benoit but i feel like this is probably the best flare match you can get which doesn't involve steel chairs lead pipes and tables and blood and for that reason i'm kind of like going yeah okay that this was okay and like, i didn't know about this um figure four you know story Chris so if that's true then who am I to complain about push Jericho tapping out to a thicker four leg lock and if it's true then good for him but yeah I, I honestly didn't really have this much of a complaint about the match itself other than Jericho Jericho's again kind of like continual slide down the car when I was desperately trying to big him up throughout the majority of the back end of last year so that's a concern but if that's his actual wish then then I can't really moan about the match, really, can I?
0: I'm just, I don't mind, mate. I'm just putting down a live production note when I edit the show. Remove nice comments about all three contributors <laughs> at start of programme <laughs> what they say in relation to Jericho Flair match. OK. Oh, sorry, did you pick that up on the mic? OK. Uh, fucking hell, losing battle. Stand your corner, man. When Rick Flair made his return as the half-owner or whatever bollocks it was in November last year, I was highly critical of it. Devinder and I were on that show and we thought, they're bringing Flair back to do this. Okay. Is it wrong now that with nearly a year's distance, I kind of prefer Flair in that role? I don't want to see it. Okay. There's no upside to Flair being effectively on the main roster in August 2002. He's not giving anybody the rub in a phrase I think is horribly overused anyway, and he isn't where he was even three years ago and I think you'll find during his 99 heel run we were piling on him then goodness me if we're Led Zeppelin themed with Flair for crying out loud you know the days of black dog have long long gone for Ric Flair we're talking hot dog now on In Through the Outdoor and if you don't know what track I'm talking about then you're fucking lucky this match wasn't terrible it wasn't a disaster but Jericho is having to do far too much here to try to keep it competent to use Dan's word bizarrely being used as a term of praise and I don't think Jericho is that type of worker. I'm amenable to... I feel the like same say this every fucking month, but I'm more amenable to Jericho than some people. Less than some on this show, absolutely. But he's not a carrier. He's not an all-round worker in that regard. He is very good at the things he does, but he's not an in-ring general. He can't marshal a match together. He can't make a bad match good and a good match great. He has to rely on other people for that. And Flair, this wasn't even greatest hit stuff. This was... End of the pier down by the Riverside Club Ric Flair we had here. And if this is just the start of what is supposedly a long in-ring run. And and without wanting to preempt anything for an hour and a half's time when we give our full show rankings, there's a reason I haven't got a score in mind yet. Let's move on. We see Paul Heyman re-watching footage of Lesnar taking Hogan out a few weeks ago. There you go, Dan, it's not just you. He then tells Brock that Rock might even be the underdog in tonight's match. And I think he's got a case. Tonight, the next big thing will arrive. Chris White with match number
3: three. Thank you. Uh, So we have Eddie Guerrero making his entrance first with a classic smug look on his face before Edge is out to a good reaction. They brawl to start before Edge hits a flapjack. Eddie comes back with a neckbreaker and drives Edge's neck into the top rope. Edge gets a monkey flip uh, followed by a front slam for a two count. He charges, at Eddie. Uh, he charges Eddie against the ropes, I should say, but Guerrero moves and Edge crashes to the floor. Eddie drives Edge's left shoulder into the steps at ringside. Back in the ring, Guerrero gets an armbar takedown. He goes up top and hits a single-arm DDT-like move for a two-count. Guerrero stamps the arm before locking in an armbar. Edge comes back with a power slam and both guys are down. Edge is up first. He gets a back body drop, but Eddie fights back with some elbows. Edge gets a face buster for two and then sends Eddie to the floor. Edge goes up top. He hits a crossbody onto Eddie on the floor outside. Back in the ring, Edge hits a front suplex out of the corner, which gets two. Edge charges in again, but Eddie gets a a drop kick. He goes up top and goes for a frog splash, but Edge gets the knees up to block. Edge gets the execution for two. Cole then notes that he isn't sure if anyone's kicked out of that move before. Guerrero gets a northern line suplex for two and follows with a neckbreaker. He hits another frog splash off the top to the uh, arm shoulder area, but this just gets two. Edge gets a slam off the top. He hits a spear with that injured shoulder and gets the win just before the 12 minutes mark. Rory, what do you make of this one?
0: Better. (laughs) Definitely better. Uh, (laughs) Hot hot take, everybody. This Eddie Guerrero is a pretty decent wrestler, isn't he? I thought his performance in here was bloody marvellous, even by his standards. He wrestled like a man who has something to prove, when really he doesn't, certainly not as far as his body of work is concerned. Position on the card, maybe. Quality as a worker, no, he's told us a million times over, but this was a magnificent performance from him. It just showed that he really can do anything. He was working heel here, and I mean working heel, wrenching the arms, hard-hitting offence and only taking off when he really needed to and making it mean something. I wonder if he has a real mission in mind to try to help get Edge over because apparently they're going to be wrestling again on at least the next pay-per-view. Yeah, and uh, I'm just trying not to repeat myself about Edge because I've said it so often over the last year or so. Well, fuck it, I'm going to repeat it. I still don't think it's happening with the man. He was fine here. He managed to hang with Eddie. He far from embarrassed himself. But I'm not seeing that improvement. I thought his selling in this match was really, really wonky. And if he's going to be even a mid-top-level babyface, he's got to sort his selling out. Hmm. Selling is one of your major selling points as a babyface in the WWE. And if he's not really getting over the armwork for 10 minutes and he's coming back and using the spear with the bad arm and then just tentatively semi-remembers to give it a little tap after the match, then I think we're in trouble. In this match, he was covered by Eddie's superb performance. And I don't want to feel like I'm burying Edge because I want him to succeed. One of my favourite guys here two years ago. I think he's almost grown up with us over the last four years, but he hasn't reached adulthood yet in the ring. And just, just at the moment, I'm starting to think it might never happen. Really good match in a vacuum, but we're still not answering these questions with Edge yet. Eric, over to you.
1: Another above-average contest. Uh, I noted the same thing that Rory noted. I really – I noted and I appreciated the the working of a body part. Um, and that's basically all to Guerrero. Um, Edge, yeah, I, I kind of see it, Rory. Like, we, we're we told he's supposed to be this guy The people generally, you know, capital P people seem to like him. But then every match he has, it's like, well, wasn't the other guy so good? And then Edge wins. Um yes. And that's the same for his matches with Christian and Engel and kind of everybody else that we've seen, his high-profile matches within the last year or two. Um, I don't really have much more to add about this match. Uh, you know, if it were on a different card, it would be one of the better matches on a card. At this point, though, I did start to uh, take note of something, and, you know, we've already read the results, so there aren't any spoilers, but I would just like to point out that the first five matches on this card features losses featured losses by Rey Mysterio... Chris Jericho, Eddie Guerrero, Booker T, and Chris Benoit. So fuck you, WCW.
3: Dan, over to you.
2: I can't um, add anything more about the match. To then what Roy and Eric have said regarding Eddie Guerrero's mastery of working over body parts, Edge's um, failure to you know to completely sell it throughout the match, and yeah, that finish annoyed me quite a lot the fact that he hit the spear with his bad shoulder and then forgot to sell it that's quite bad and something that i really wish he if if that had been corrected i may have even pushed this match into great territory but i think some of the one person i do want to shout out in this match is taz um because i think this is i think this is the first pay-per-view that cole and taz have actually called as a team Unless I'm getting that completely wrong, but I do think that they are working quite well together. And actually, in this instance, Taz in particular, just really calling out Eddie Guerrero's you know excellent work, highlighting that shoulder, and then you know referencing drop kicks of the shoulder, and edges flying crossbody out to the floor, always referring back to that shoulder. And that's you know just really good play by play, and it's something that if we're gonna have. A specific two-man booth specific to SmackDown and not crossing over with Jr. and the King. I think it's good that we've got competent announcers on both um, brands now, where one is probably more sports entertainment and one potentially is going to be more wrestling in ring. Yeah, yeah,
3: I think that's a, a fair point. I, I haven't enjoyed Michael Cole. I don't think many of us have over the years um, but the combination of him and Taz I think is probably beneficial to both of them and it's probably a good thing to highlight that I agree with all of you on the match The the finish was really annoying there's a few options they had just do the spear with the other shoulder or go with like the execution for the finish and then have him hit a spear earlier in the match but not quite get all of it and th- the reason is because his shoulder's weak like this. There's so many ways they could have enhanced the match. Well, Edge could have enhanced the quality of this match with just fine attuned a storytelling and, and psychology. But um, it wasn't to be. And yeah, uh, Eddie Guerrero is a, a long-time podcast favourite across many volumes over the years. So I think his, uh, our appreciation for him is well documented at this stage. Next stage, the Un-Americans trio of Christian, Lance, Storm and Tess did an interview with Jonathan Coachman where they went at the fans for not appreciating them performing at world class levels, which leads us nicely into our next match for the WWE Tag Team Championships.
1: Indeed, and it is the Un-Americans, your WWE Tag Team Champions against Booker T and Goldust. Uh, And and Lawler says that uh, Booker T and Goldust are competing for their whole country. Christian and uh, Goldust start. Goldie gets advantage with a hip attack and he gets a two. Uh, Christian eventually tags in Storm, a reverse atomic drop to Storm. Uh, we see Booker in and he works on Storm with a back elbow and a sidewalk slam and a knee get Booker a two. Uh, Goldust is in and he hits an elbow from the second rope on Lance Storm. Uh, gold dust then out of control over the top to the outside uh, Christian works him over good bump there by gold dust really uh, Back in the ring Lance Storm gets a two and works over gold dust uh, Here Christian and Storm take turns on uh, gold dust we've reached we've reached the heat spot here uh, Christian and Storm take turns on on gold dust uh, Storm misses a, a drop kick and gold dust gets a two on the roll up uh christian uh, is now in and he applies a front face lock uh gold dust gets to gets the tag to booker finally but the ref misses it and the un-americans take advantage over gold dust in the other corner uh, in the ruckus though uh, gold dust and christian go down with a double clothesline outside the ring storm distracts booker so gold dust can't make the tag again because the ref is distracted uh, Set up for a concerto, but it misses and Goldust finally gets that hot tag to Booker Booker works over both of the Canadians with a hundred slaps to Christian's uh, netted chest And a missile drop kick gets Booker a two on Christian I'm old enough to remember when that was his finishing move in WCW Storm takes out Nick Patrick on a spinning heel kick, so they're now faces Uh, Booker nails both on Americans (laughs) with a scissor kick then we see that famous spin-a-rooney, but there's no ref to make the three count. And then Tess slips into clobber Booker with the boot, which allows Christian to make the three from a sleepy Nick Patrick. And the Un-Americans retain the tag team championships over Booker T and Goldust in just a shade over 10 minutes. Rory, we'll start with you.
0: Okay. I mainly want to talk about Dust here and not just the sign of the crowd that wrote Dust is my favourite Spice Girl, but I couldn't not mention it. <laughs> Long Island, I tell you. I really do love Dustin Rhodes. It's a love that rarely speaks its name on this podcast. I feel he is probably the most, I hate the word underrated because I think it's overused, but he is definitely one of the most undervalued people we've had regular contact with in the nearly 10 years we've been doing this show. He's been called upon to do a lot and not much of it laudable. certainly since 1997. But my God, has he done it? And I think now he's playing it as straight as he ever has as the Goldust character. I'm probably enjoying him in the ring more than I have for a very long time. It all feels a bit like a long service medal for him right now, but I think he deserves it. And in a tag team with Booker T doing an odd couple thing, I'm not in love with some of the backstage skits, it must be said, but they're getting progressively over as this tag team. And I do think the time will come pretty soon to pull the trigger on them being champs probably wouldn't take the belt off the un-Americans yet. I said my piece last month about what I think about the whole un-Americans angle and looking at the calendar now, that's thrown into even sharper relief one month on, but never mind. Once again, like last month, Lance Storm and Christian, did everything they needed to do in this match, no more, but no less. Booker T, was Booker T. But Goldust was the glue that held everything together. I'm very glad you mentioned that super bumpy took there, Eric, because he doesn't need to be doing this. Much like people like Eddie, this is where he's going to be for X amount of time. But he's not just resting on his laurels. And I think that's admirable, especially somebody who we can definitely now call a veteran, especially when you compare him to somebody else. I may or may not have done a play-by-play match on earlier for who I think is resting on his laurels, not inconsiderably. Goldust is not. Dustin Rhodes knows.
1: Don't argue. I, I don't know that any of us would disagree that Dustin Goldust is a, is a good worker when his head's on straight. But, I, you know, I don't know that there's anybody really, if you're to believe half of what has been written about the guy. I don't know if there's anybody to blame for his kind of career stall, stagnation, two steps forward, one step back trajectory than Dustin himself. So, there's
0: you know, if he to had to argue if about he
1: Indeed. If he has his act together, and it appears that he does, then I completely agree with you. But, you know, I don't know that the guy hasn't been given any chances. I mean, he's Dusty's kid, so of course he's going to be given the benefit of the doubt most of the time. But no disagreement with you uh, in general there. Um, Mr. White, thoughts?
3: I thought this was a pretty good tag team match. I, I think, a, I mean, the, a title change would have been well received by the crowd because... I mean, they really didn't like the Un-Americans. Uh, but I, I think this was the right decision. I, I thought this was a pretty formulaic sort of like WWE style tag match um, and with a very WWE style finish. But, I mean, you've got Christian and Lance Storm and at, at, as a team. I mean, y- you're going to get good matches out of those guys. Um, I, I thought generally speaking, all four. Obviously, varying uh, varying levels, but all four guys had their working boots on, and uh, this was probably a better match than I hoped. Have like uh, it would be going in. It felt less filler uh, in a card that's been largely very good up until this point.
1: It's funny because, like, of course Christian and Lance Storm are a good tag team, right? But you don't think about it because of the way that they've kind of been. Uh, presented as as lower to mid card guys uh, over the last um, little while, but yeah, obviously they're going. It's like the Midnight Express, like Eaton, Condry, and Lane, like are all low card guys. But then you put them in a tag team, and it's like, holy shit! Of course they're good, right? Anyway, um, Dan, bring us home on on uh, on the tag team title match, please.
2: Yeah, I, I, this wasn't meant to be the the kind of proverbial snowflake generator match. This was meant to be a heat magnet match, and I thought this was in that regard, perfectly executed. You know, Storm and Christian were were excellently doing the denying of the heat spot in terms of formulaic processes. And the crowd was super hot for Booker T. And, you know, I, I think that they are invested in Booker T and Golders' tag team because it was, you know, as, as Roy's mentioned, a, an odd couple comedy backstage segment for, you know, two or three months before the NWO disbanded. But since that's happened... These two have just connected with the crowd. They're running with it. And if this is a vehicle to make Booker T the star that he could have been and should have been it during the invasion, then I'm all for this. It's it's hopefully going to be a way to elevate another a mid-carder out of the chasing pack on the raw side, because it's been, you know, for the last two or three months have been a very nostalgic, heavy brand and probably leaning on the WCW top guys too much, and they've really neglected some of the mid-card acts, and I think Booker T, judging by the crowd reaction, is ready to to really kick on. I think it's still worthy of him remaining in the tag division with Goldust. I don't think that story's finished yet by any means, and I think the Young americans are, again, as I've mentioned before, they're just brilliant heat magnets. It's jingoism at, at, at its highest order, but as wrestling is. One of the biggest um trademarks of wrestling is to basically just say evil foreigner, bad, here's some goodies that we want you to face and they'll get cheered. And it's a tired interested formula and it works pretty much every time. And it's kind of sad sometimes that, that's that's the case. But in this case, if it's getting Booker T into a good spot then then great. To finish was a little bit annoying because Nick Patrick comes around just as Tess runs out of the ring. So surely he should know that there's some been some form of chicanery to warrant a disqualification, but you know that's that's Nick Patrick. He's he's so he has got timings wrong in the past quite badly. So it's not surprising, let's put it that way. But yeah, I, I had no problem. Again, I thought this was for a tag match and kind of more of a storyline heavy match and a and a way to build heat in the crowd. I thought this was done really really well.
1: You know, some would say that Nick Patrick almost is the test of referees, and so uh, a little bit of synchronicity here uh, at the end of this match. <laughs> so we pivot to WWE The World, and uh, we see Nydia wearing what can only be described as almost shorts. Um, there's a make-out contest uh, with Jamie Noble as the MC. Uh, Nydia tests out and picks one of two identical men uh, to clobber and suck face with. Uh, in the back, uh, Stephanie and Bischoff watch Nydia, and Bischoff wants Nydia on
2: Raw. And our next contest is for the Intercontinental title between reigning champ Chris Benoit and RVD, a.k.a. Lacey's Boy versus Welling's Boy. Hard kick to Benoit's leg before they even lock up, uh, before more hard kicks to Benoit's chest from RVD. A hard leg legs takedown by Benoit before RVD hits a rolling turnbuckle crossbody. Uh, Some nice evasive moves between the pair before Benoit hits a hard German suplex to take control. Uh, A snap suplex also gets another two count. RVD gets a couple of roll-up pin attempts and a nice monkey flip before Benoit shuts that down with a clothesline. Benoit gets his knees up to block a springboard split leg moonsault before both men whiff on their top rope finishes. Benoit locks in the crossface, um, but RVD gets his foot on the top rope. Benoit gets a hammerlock in on RVD and his rams his shoulder straight into the ring post. More hard shots by Benoit before another rest hold which goes on for a little bit too long. Uh, RVD back heel trips Benoit but after missing another standing moonsault, Benoit locks on another cross face. RVD escapes again by rolling through but Benoit keeps up with a with a roll-up pin. Then while rams RVD shoulder into the post again, and then somehow hits three rolling Northern Light suplexes with a hammer lock still locked in. And then he locks in the crossface for a third time. That brings out the RVD chance from the crowd, but RVD still won't give up. In fact, he's been worked over so hard, his ponytail has come undone and let all his long flowing hair flow out in all its glory. RVD hits a springboard thrust kick from the second rope for a two, a step-over spin kick, and a rolling thunder for another two. Um, unfortunately, we gave edge grief, but RVD's selling of his worked-over shoulder is even worse, and his pole on the top rope. Benoit goes for a super-back superplex, but RVD floats over and crashes into Benoit on the floor. RVD heads up top, hits a five-star frog splash, and RVD has regained the Intercontinental title. Uh, in 2002 that he lost about 3 months ago to Eddie Guerrero. Uh Eric, what did you think of this match?
1: Uh it was stiff. Uh I think we can agree on that. Um I also think that yeah, there's a lot of criticisms and, you know, I guess if you're a Benoit fan, then it's easy to deconstruct RVD cuz it's a it's definitely a sports entertainment style. Um in order to do a lot of things he has to do, you have to be willing to look the other way on some some stuff. And some of that stuff tends to be like selling and pace because he can do he can do stuff that other guys can't do, right? And so when you put him up against a guy like Benoit, who's truly the wrestler's wrestler, I mean he's, he's everybody's favorite he's every wrestler's favorite wrestler, right? He's the Mitch Hedberg of of wrestlers. So um this is an interesting matchup. And I think that it's a little bit of a, of a styles clash more than we would even realize. But then, you know, if you're willing to maybe put the blinders on to RVD, not selling X, Y, and Z or Benoit, who probably in 30 seconds could rip RVD's head off. If this was a real quote unquote, real fight. Like, I think this was a pretty good match. And I think that I've seen a lot of praise for this match. Um, here and there and i don't know that i don't know that this was the best benoit match or the best rvd match that i've seen uh, even in the last year or so uh, it probably isn't uh, but i think that these two um, with their unique styles came together to put something together that is um, very good and that's kind of the theme of the show um, but your criticisms of rvd are fair i just think that with him in the fed Against guys like Benoit who aren't necessarily just going to wrestle that ECW style, I think a little bit of grace and patience needs to be afforded or else the whole RBD thing just kind of, it becomes pretty transparent. And that's no, that's no mark against the guy. I mean, his kicks are stiff. He works just as stiff as Benoit works, but they're two vastly different styles. And with the sheen of WWF production and, you know, how good their microphones are and, how many eyes are on the product. I think some of RVD's fundamental issues come to the surface, but the guy is so fucking good that it's, you know, for guys like me and for guys like Lacey, it's easy to overlook, even though that's so contrary to how I particularly tend to look at and criticize wrestling. But it's also one of those things where the more these two guys wrestle, the more they'll figure it out. And this isn't their first match together, I'm, I'm you know, or their last. And so, Very good in the theme of the night, but like every other match we've talked about, except for maybe the opener, you know, some pretty big flaws uh, bring it down from great to very good.
3: Chris, I pretty much agree with everything Eric just said. The selling criticisms for RVD are definitely pertinent, Mm -hmm. I think he probably had more issues with that in this match, as you already pointed out, than we did. Than I would have had with edge um but i suppose at least (laughs) the the five star frog splash doesn't involve the arm i guess that's the only thing i could say i think we could have taken two three minutes off of this match and given it to kurt and ray at the top of the show and both matches would have been better for it um is maybe the only other point i'd add but i think yeah these two worked well together and this was a good if not well, yeah, a good match, but probably not a great one, but still very good.
0: Rory. I absolutely love this. I really, really did. I thought they told a magnificent story here with RBD in the first seven to ten minutes, trying everything he could think of and a couple of things he probably couldn't think of and wasn't able to get anywhere near until he just finally figured it out. He used Benoit's in-ring frustration against him, so he was able to hit his big moves. At the end, he was able to get the frog splash on. Maybe I'm reading a bit more into it than they were, but they kept that through line throughout the 15 minutes. And I thought that was tremendous storytelling. The kind of which, once again, the WWE, when they want to, do better than many other forms of entertainment. I think for now, I'll leave it at that. RBD selling absolutely 100% an issue I think I've been saying that on these shows for probably about the last six years or so but and this is not a defense because it's definitely a problem I think with somebody like Rob Van Dam at least as far as the fan base are concerned it's almost priced in with him it's it's part of the package Eric called it a very sports entertainment presentation I think that's valid Uh, I've can't be hypocritical here i've said that edge might be precluded from getting to the main events by his poor selling i do think with rob van damme the same applies but i'm slightly more willing to brush it off with rbd than i am with others not as much as some people are keen to brush things off with rbd and i'm not going to take that to its full literal sense either but i'm i'm kind of okay with it and i kind of hate myself for that because i really shouldn't be benoit Another truly classy performance from him, wrestled within himself. I don't think he was there to win any match of the year honours today. He was just there to put RBD over and he did it clean-ish. He did it strong. He did it convincingly. And I think Rob Van Dam is probably in the best position now he's been in since his first couple of months in the E. I think he is now at the very least a B-level pay-per-view main event contender in a losing effort. I just can't visualise him with the WWE title at this point. And I don't think even he can, even in his most adult mind states. Let's leave it at that. But he's in a great place now. Six or seven months ago, I didn't think he was going to be there. And to quote a Benoit phrase, he's proved me wrong.
2: Yeah, I, I totally understand everybody's points about you kind of have to ignore the selling with RVD because ultimately you just don't, you have to trade off his ridiculously unique offense for it. But I guess it's the point that we were moaning at edge, you know, for a good two or three minutes by hitting a spear with a bad arm. And yet, but he still sold it just slightly. RVD just didn't even bother. And when Benoit was trying to do Northern light suplexes with a hammer in co- included, I feel like you owe him, <laughs> which is a, maybe again, me being a little bit biased towards, my boy versus you know. No, I think that's I think that's absolutely fair. Um, but yeah, I feel like this match. I we re- I really wanted to call this match great, but I I just couldn't bring myself to do it. I um yeah, there's too many flaws of the selling. There was some rest spots that went on for a little bit too long, as I mentioned in my notes. And there's also, I don't know, I just didn't really. I felt like the cross face was a little bit overexposed in this match compared to what RVD went through and. Maybe again, I'm maybe a little bit too harsh on that, but I I think there's a better match in these two guys than what we got, and yeah, I I don't have much problem with RBD winning the belt either. I mean, again, I felt like Raw needs some workers, and I think with Benoit, Angle, Guerrero, Mysterio, Edge now, I think Edge is on SmackDown. Yes, there's a lot of top tier workers on SmackDown at the minute, and realistically rvd off the top of my head is probably the best on raw and as great as he is he needs to have some sort of dance partner in order to make this icy title back to the workers belt so hopefully he gets this in some shape or form whether it's booker t whether it's christian i don't know who's going to be that dance partner coming forward but I, yeah, I I want to like this match a little bit more than I did, but hey-ho. Lacey's won the battle, but come the end end of year awards, I will win the war. Don't worry. Uh, Backstage, we're back in the GM office as Eric Bischoff is smug as anything after the victory for Team Raw. He stumbles over his line slightly, saying the IC champ will now be an exclusive to the Raw brand. Uh, But Stephanie just laughs in his face and walks straight off, um, the result of which we will find out down the line uh, and with that Rory over to you for our next match and involving probably your favorite wrestler of the last
0: three years right yeah absolutely I don't just throw these things together you know I dibbied out the matches after we watched the pay-per-view I to go back and watch some review copies and I made sure that I had Undertaker test myself all right? I'm gonna do it full justice and like I said to Eric earlier on completely impartial throughout so it's before this match we get our video package on the Un-Americans, because this is the one that counts, right? Not the one where they're defending the tag team belts. Oh God, there I go. I will take this opportunity to jump on a point Dell made last month. In that, I agree, it's great to see Landstorm in particular getting something which sets pulses racing. JR rightly points out this will be no wrestling match. As I remember, I did indeed actually choose to do the play-by-play for this one. You know, I see it like spending an hour in a panic room with only an anaconda for company. Anyway, we kick off with the clubbing of the blow and a bit of a shoulder block. Leapfrog by The Undertaker, hopefully Kevin Nash tells him off for that one, and then more exchanges of strikes. Diving clothesline scores a two for the dead man, and we are into the wrenching of the arm. Old school gets an inexplicable pop, but Tessa likes that about as much as I do, and shoves Jack down into the ropes to end that circus act. Taker hits the steps knees first, where did he learn that? And gets beaten down back inside. Hard elbows in the corner by Test, plus the big boot jammed right in the face. And then a knee, too. Hey, hey, don't stop on my account. Close line by Test and then he clamps on the armbar as a Funaki is God sign gets on camera. Quite right, too. It's a very long armbar, but I must say the crowd do stay with them. Taker fights out with a back suplex. He misses an elbow, though, and yet more punches in the middle of the ring. Big DDT by Big Evil gets a near fall, and then we see old school. Did I not tell you? Snake Eyes by UT, but he misses a boot. Tess then tries the pump handle slam, but Taker rolls out. He then goes for his own chokeslam, but Tess blocks out twice, albeit not a third time. That was a good sequence. Tess kicks out from the chokeslam, and then the Un-Americans try their luck. It isn't in. Big boot by Test again, but this time it doesn't prove successful. Mm-hmm. Tess grabs a chair, but back into his face it goes. Tombstone follows. And oh yes, chuck another one up for old James Madison over here. Hey, Dan.
2: Uh, I swear to God, Vince McMahon just has selective amnesia when it comes to test every single year this guy gets a push it fails and then i get just envisage vince mcmahon walking through the arena one day he sees test and goes my god pal, are you a wrestler oh. yes yes mr. <laughs> yes mr mcmahon yes mr mcmahon i am bloody hell pal i need to put the in the main event god damn it and then he actually watches him wrestle and goes oh that's why he's not in the main event damn it Wasted another pay-per-view spot in this Joker. Every year, every year, Test gets a push against Shane McMahon at SummerSlam. He wins the Immunity Battle Royal at Survivor Series last year. He's meant to be the big, big horse of the Alliance. And now he's the captain of the Americans taking on The Undertaker at SummerSlam. When will people understand that Test is a charisma vacuum? He's not, at any point, a main event level talent. And so, just this match was probably the lowest point of the night. It was still okay for a big man match, in my opinion. Like but that is as far as I can give it. I mean I don't think the Undertaker is was in on his working form tonight. He looked rather gassed throughout the match. And I I, I still don't really understand why we've we've turned him face straight away after him losing the belt I don't know whether it was because they run out of people for him to face as a heel or whether they need to basically give him to Brock Lesnar for certain feuds after this main event of SummerSlam but yeah we we always question whether Undertaker is going to do a Jeff Hardy or do a DDP and I'm pretty certain in this match he was doing the latter with Test but realistically I can kind of understand it because it's Test
0: It certainly is. Your point very much stands, Dan, but Vince McMahon calling Test a wrestler is funny on at least two counts that I can think of. Chris White.
3: Yeah, I mean, this was, as Dan said, probably the weakest match of the night. Well, almost certainly the weakest match of the night. I think it was awful. And, like, Undertaker having, like, a plodding match where he basically squashes a guy is certainly less egregious when it's Test rather than, like, yeah, DDP or, or... God forbid, Kurt Angle a few years ago. You know the fame, the infamous, that the with the Rory rant. Um, yeah, I, I mean, what what are we to expect from the Undertaker at this stage? You know, like I think for every Jeff Hardy match, there's probably going to be five of these, and that's just what we need to accept. He's it doesn't look like he's going anywhere, and this is yeah i mean as long as it's to guys like test that don't really have much of a sort of main event future that we can foresee and and things like that then let it be i suppose it's not really hurting anyone like i can i can kind of accept this it doesn't it doesn't make me furious which is probably uh one that puts it in the upper echelon of undertaker matches to be honest <laughs>
0: And Eric, what do you make of the Undertaker pulling it out of the fire for Morica?
1: Um, I think, and and I mean this in the in the spirit possible. But the Undertaker needs to die again. Like we've oh K okay,
0: okay, kayfabe, you did say okay. Just just checking. Carry on. I
1: Jesus. mean, I mean, he's not a he's not a bad guy. I mean, he's not. Uh, we're not talking about. You know someone who I actually want to wish you know mayhem and destruction on per se but I do think that I'm sick of this you know redneck biker dude uh one dimension I mean wrestling is all one dimensional characters and I don't even know that this version of the undertaker captures a full dimension it is it was cool to get a pop it was cool for a minute but like we need the dead man bad um And I I think test is the ultimate victim of cursed by a cool move set in WrestleMania 2000. And that's why we all just kind of keep not realizing what an (laughs) absolutely dog shit wrestler that this guy is because he's got the pop-up DDT and he's got the pump handle slam uh, or the pop-up cutter and the pump handle slam and, you know, really cool shit for what a wrestler he actually is. And, I don't know, like test was fine when he started two years ago or whenever it was. But again, like everybody has said, and like I suspect we'll continue to say I, in perpetuity, maybe. I mean, this is a guy who just looks like a guy that Vince McMahon wants to push. And so he pushes him and it doesn't work because he doesn't because he doesn't work. It doesn't work because the fans didn't get it or because something went wrong or something. You know, out of his. No, Vince, listen to me. I know you listen to the show. Listen to me. This guy sucks. He sucks. And it's not your fault. And it's not his fault. It's nobody's fault. But the fact that you now have twice as many uh, top level wrestlers available to you as you did a year ago, year and a half ago, and you're still pushing this guy. Just stop it. Just stop it. Thank you. And while you're at it, kill The Undertaker
0: in kayfabe i should add i should in kayfabe in kayfabe (laughs) let's not milk it um okay um i'm actually glad you said that eric because i thought this was okay enough really i didn't detest it i didn't break out in hives by the end of it that's not
1: the point the point is that this this was a fine match like we're not saying this was the work this was nowhere near the cage match last year for example or anything like like this was a fine match, but the point is, like, there could be so many better matches in its place, and yet we just keep going back to this fucking Undertaker wrestling, <laughs> this fucking talentless big guy well for four out of ten matches year after year after year when there's so many dudes on the roster
0: that are better deserving of the spot. Eric, you are very much preaching to the converted on this one, my friend. You don't need to try to convince me. <laughs> I'm I, I'm trying. I, I repeat, I'm trying. Um, it's a losing but, battle, I admit. But maybe this is, like,
3: this is the best we can hope for, right? Like if we get one of the guys that we all like that are brilliant wrestlers and we enjoy and they're in there with the undertaker, we're just going to end up crushed. Like this is, this is, this is the best we can hope for. I think that he just, maybe this is like, maybe we should be more appreciative that every year we're just going to have to sit through an undertaker test match and Taker's going to get a really big win and dominate him. And everyone can be like, oh, look at you, Taker, you're great. And maybe his ego's satisfied enough that he doesn't do it to Kurt Angle or Eddie Guerrero or someone like that. Like I think Test is actually one of the real MVPs of this roster, if that's the role he's going to (laughs) play.
0: I really don't know what to go after that. Other acronyms are available. I, I just... I think I've directed enough Undertaker hate over the last few years and dare say there will be many more opportunities to do so again Uh, a match third from the top at SummerSlam where he beats Test in a fairly convincing and rote fashion in eight minutes I think I can just keep it simmering at this point I'm I'm happy to hand it over to others on this occasion and I think Eric has been very happy to take up the baton himself I, I this isn't the place to come for another fully loaded 2000 rant. i dare say there will be many more as many for many years as we're doing this because as much as this undertaker character undertaker character needs to go away eric it's too much of an extension of his real life persona with everything that entails for it to do so i don't think he wants to be the dead man anymore this is for worse or worse this is him and that's the problem is it not
1: I'm just saying that me and Mark never main-evented WrestleMania, but The Undertaker did. (laughs) Ah,
0: Red Devil, Big Evil. And yeah, I said it in that order. More than enough discussion on The Undertaker until next month. And at least on my review copy, we go straight to a video package on our Sammy main event, where I feel we need to settle in for a few minutes.
4: What the hell do you want? manager Nick Dawes telling telling the gang something. Where's he going? What the hell happened? What the hell happened? Oh, oh wow. Somebody get help. Somebody go and get some help. Somebody obviously ran his head right through the side of that car window. The only thing I know for sure is that the guy jumped me from behind. John, I swear to you, and I swear in front of all these people, I'm gonna find out who did this to you. Find out who did this? That person is a marked man. It was you, Hunter. You're damn right it was me, Sean. I was trying to prove a point. That you are weak. You are vulnerable. I recognize that I'm not in the best of shape right now. The doctors have told me I'll make a full recovery. They say I'll be 100%. 100% by, say, uh... SummerSlam. I'm not going to sanction your match at SummerSlam.
0: Officially, your match will never happen. But it will happen, Eric. Chris White, the responsibility is yours. The second greatest return we're talking about on the show today. Thank you very much. Over to you.
3: Yeah, and, and it is a really uh, stunning video package. Uh, at least in my book that hypes up our next contest the the unsanctioned match between Triple H and the returning Shawn Michaels um it focuses on their friendship going back from to 97 into 98 uh and then obviously Shawn being out of action uh after the match with Austin um and and it goes to that a, a month before SummerSlam and Hunter teasing bringing back DX and Triple H and attacking him and with Michaels being beaten up in the parking lot and the security footage revealing it's Triple H and leading to the challenge to this match. And it's, it's uh, one of the things that they rarely get wrong is these like big match video packages. And this is right up there for me in, in the echelon of great ones they've done. Sean makes his way to the ring to a huge ovation and I've noted that the pop I mean I'm not going back to catalogue these things but it felt quite possibly that it could be the biggest of his career to date Triple H made his entrance and they have a long stare down Uh, Michaels is wrestling in jeans and cowboy boots and Hunt is in his usual trunks, his usual gear Michaels attacks with punches right away Hunter pushes him off uh, but Michaels fights back and throws Hunter over the top to the floor Michaels with a slingshot plancher onto Hunt so on the outside they battle on the floor michaels whips hunter into the ring post he uh, brings a garbage can into the match and this allows uh, hunter to drop sean t- chest first against the barricade michaels hits the shot with the trash can lid to the head back inside he jumps off the top with a double axe handle he looks for a super kick but hunter avoids it and hits the backbreaker and michael sells this big time triple h hits another backbreaker we- he goes with a hard whip into the corner uh Uh, So Michaels goes back first into the turnbuckle and Hunter follows with the crotch chop taunt. Uh, Hunter brings a chair into the ring and leads to a hard shot to the back of Michaels and the crowd react to these bumps in a big way. Uh, Hunter hits a DDT onto the steel chair for a two count and Michaels is busted open. Uh, Triple H takes Sean's belt and whips him across the back with it. He lays in some punches to the face with the belt wrapped around his fist before getting a sledgehammer. But referee El Hebner tries to stop him, which really pissed me off. Uh, the referee, as JR had explicitly told us, is literally there just to count the fall as this is an unsanctioned match. This distraction uh, for Hunter allowed Michaels to fight back into the match with some punches. Hunter looks on an abdominal stretch and grabs the ropes, but Hebner yells at him so they got into a shoving match. Here they're like trying to tell the story, Hebner showing compassion for Michaels, even though uh, technically what Hunter was doing was legal within this, uh, I suppose, street fight. Hunter puts Sean up top, but Sean punches him back, so Hunter shoves uh, Hebner into the ropes and crotches Michael's. A chair to the back by Hunter draws more heat from the crowd before he hits a backbreaker onto a chair that was opened up, so it's onto like the seat of the chair, which gets a two count. We get a sidewalk slam on the chair for some more near falls. Hunter wants a pedigree, uh, but Michael's fights out of it and hits a low blow to a big pop. Hunter grabs a chair. He walks towards Michael's, and Michael's hits a huge superkick. Sean can't make the cover, but this at this point Hunter's busted open. Michael sits a flying forearm, followed by a kip, kip up to another big pop. After a chair shot, Michael whips Hunter over the top to the floor. The fans chant, we want tables, as Michael grabs a boot from a Spanish announcer and nails Triple H in the head with it. JR calls it a heel for a heel, which is obviously a bit on the nose, but nevertheless a good line. Michael hits a DDT onto the steel steps at ringside. He pulls a ladder from under the ring, and the crowd Enjoy this greatly. He hits Hunter with the top of the ladder, and Hunter is really bleeding a lot, it must be said. Uh, they go back into the ring, Michaels gets a two. Uh, they go back to the top rope, Michaels hits a superplex and gets another two count. Triple H fights back with a high knee to the face, which also gets two. Hunter uh, brings out the bottom half of the steel steps into the ring. Uh, Michaels gets a drop toe hole that sends Hunter face first into them. A clothesline by Michaels sends Hunter to the floor. Michaels grabs a table from under the ring and sets it up. Michaels hits Hunter with a fire extinguisher and Hunter lands on the table. He goes up top and hits a splash off the top rope through Hunter on the table and the fans chant, holy shit. Michaels sets the ladder up against the turnbuckle. He- Hebner holds the ladder steady and Michaels jumps off the ladder with an elbow drop uh, to the chest. Michaels tunes up the band looking for switch in music. While Hunter catches the foot, looks for the pedigree. Michael flips over, gets a bridging pin, and covers for the free count and the pinfall win just before the 28-minute mark, and the fans absolutely love this. just before we get everyone's thoughts on the match, I, I, I thought I'd cover the sort of post-match aftermath as well. Cause it, it feels pertinent and relevant, perhaps more so than like other uh, matches that we review on pay-per-view. So Michael's helped to his feet by referee L Hebner. He kisses Hebner on the cheek. Hunter doesn't allow these celebrations to last long. He's straight into nail. Michael's in the back with the sledgehammer with Sean on his knees. Hunter hits him in the back again. Michael's out on the mat. Henner calls for help. Hunter does a crotch top over the fallen Shawn Sean Michaels. Medical staff are straight in the ring, checking on him. JR has an awesome call on commentary. Triple H is going to rot in hell for what he did tonight. Do you have no soul? You son of a bitch. Do you realize what you've just done? Hunter lips to the back with a smirk on his face and Sean's taken out on a stretcher. We get the, uh, Re- replay of the finish and yeah, and, and then just more footage of Sean being taken out, wheeled out on the stretcher. And the crowd, it must be said, don't really know how to react to this. Eric, what did you make of this match?
1: Man, this was a lot. This was more happened in this match than happened on the rest of the show combined, uh, almost to this point. Um, I'll get through the cons early uh, just because, you know, you watch. I watched this match a couple of times uh, just to get a fair uh, response to it. Uh, my cons are, are pretty are are pretty low, uh, but they are uh, I think valuable. Uh, first of all, uh, re- Triple H is wrestling a street fight in his trunks. That just always takes me out of it. I thought Sean was a- appropriately attired for this match. Um, it just is always a little bit irritating. Like you wouldn't you wouldn't wrestle a fight. Like this in almost nothing, uh, because you see what happens. Um, I thought Hebner was way too involved. Uh, th- I, this is particularly what I noticed on the second watch through. Whitey and your um, your commentary uh, brought that back to the surface. I mean, get a chair and sit at ringside and count the three. Like, stay the fuck out of the action, dude. Like you're not. Nobody's here to see you. And Earl is getting worse and worse and worse with this uh, as time goes along. He's just in every fucking shot. And it was very distracting when I watched this a second time. Um, and I, I'm very on the fence about Triple H getting his heat back at the end. Because my understanding going into this is that this was a one-off match for Sean to have his kind of like his moment, quote unquote. Uh, but with that spot at the end and Triple H getting his heat back, uh, that that can't be the case. And so... You know, if this leads to a greater outcome for Sean down the line, I don't know what that would be. Like, they just put the belt on Lesnar. I I don't see, I don't really see where this is going for Sean other than, you know, he beat Triple H, but then Hunter's got to keep his heat back because he's the full-time guy. We'll see. Didn't love that. What I did love about this match is that I could not look away from it at any point while it was happening. And there are so many things about this match that are offensive to the things that I like as a wrestling fan. But I think knowing these two's history, knowing that there was no way that these two guys were going to put on a bad wrestling match, it's just impossible. Um, knowing that Sean's probably been fit and healthy for the better part of most of the four years he's been gone physically, uh, mentally, and, and you know, uh, with his uh, uh, demons, so to speak, uh, not necessarily. But I don't think his back was ever the, the true concern Um I think Hunter has taken the Ric Flair uh, bleeds like a champion uh, trophy. Uh, and I think that's fair. And I, I liked that there was one instance of significant blood in this show. And that was triple H during this match where it would, it's perfectly appropriate and what you would expect for him to bleed. And the finish before the post match was perfect. I mean, Triple H has been an active, improving wrestler who's 50 pounds heavier than he was the last time Sean would have been affiliated with him in, in a pro wrestling context. Physically and uh, with the experience that these two have had over the last four or five years, there's really no believable way that Sean would beat Triple H in an in a equally matched one-on-one contest, but he uses his grit and he uses a little bit of luck. Um, and he rolls him up and he gets the win. and I don't think that you know triple h going down to the sweet chin music in a one two three was at all the right way to end this match. This match ended appropriately and I thought it was great and Sean won and I popped like I would have popped like I was watching this you know when I was a, a school you know a schoolboy you know back way back when long time ago. and so this match brought out that wrestling fan in me despite all of its technical flaws on rematch uh, i'm I'm torn about this match for some of those dirty details but when when they put on a match that's almost 30 minutes long and you can't look away and it doesn't feel that long i don't think that that i can you know fairly balance those criticisms against the praise i think this was another you know capital v capital g very good match
3: Uh, the one thing i'd say about the finish is that uh, sorry not the finish the post-match stuff is like the way i sort of read into it was uh, what i got from it was like they were just covering both bases. Like if this is a one and done, then I think it's hard to like, write Sean out of being an active wrestler. Like again, if he comes in and and wins, particularly if they had done like a finish, like a switch of music or something, whereas here it's like, they can go back to like this back injury and they can play that up, you know, like that's he's, he's out for that reason and then if he ever does come back again you've got this rematch and you can have a very different type of match second time round because this is the street fight you can do the 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 wrestling version of this story I think so for me it felt more like covering both bases so I kind of had more sympathy for the post-match stuff but that was how I read it and I, I totally get like if this is just like it now then maybe it is a bit flat for what i thought was a, a very very good match uh, a great match actually i would say um anyway yeah
2: uh dan over to you for your thoughts on this one yeah so one of the very 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 few flaws with our podcast format is that i don't think we have a real chance to talk about a wrestler's legacy when they start to move off our tv screens um, because we have we have to cover rolling coverage. We have to cover the pay-per-view, the TV, the latest Vincent Mann versus Stone Cold Steve Austin angle, and whatever bullshit Vince Russo is booking. So we don't really get to talk about what a wrestler has done in the past when they move off our screen. And like an example of that is Vader, for example, who I know, Eric, was was one of your favorite wrestlers, if not the your favorite wrestler, in the early nineties and you know, mid nineties in WCW before he moved to WWF. And then we didn't really talk about him at all when he left the Fed in late 98, when he was booked into oblivion. And that, that guy is so good that he deserved a send off as an example. And I feel like we did that with Sean a bit as well, because this was a man along with Bret Hart, a guy who you could absolutely rely on to deliver the best match on the show every night between basically 1994 and 1997 and he kind of just became an afterthought for the last four years whilst we were watching the WWF product grow and improve as as the years went on and it was just like oh yeah there's Sean in as the commissioner and oh yeah that's him as the guest referee what's happening next month and we never talk about the fact that this guy was at the peak of his powers and had a broken back and personal demons and it was just gone so with that context in mind and, and kind of thinking about this match as a one and done deal, I'm going to go out and say this. I think this is my favorite match I've ever watched in my life. It's, I don't know what it was that happened to me, but I think I've never been so happy watching a match. And then the match was so good all the way through it from start to finish. I think this is absolutely tremendous. You know, sure. even, Sean's Michaels is selling from the start with the the little prop up in the corner and the finger wag to the skin in the cat, showing the crowd that he's 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 still got it, so to speak. And then the selling that he puts on, he's always been on the mo- emotional, exaggerated side of that coin. But here he seemed to blend realism and seriousness into all of the meticulous back working over that triple h did to him a back break has never been so more has been has never been so heated before this match because everyone knows that there's probably an element of his him selling it is just because he's that damn good but also the fact we no idea how much pain he is in because this is his first match back in four and a half years and then I I absolutely understand your points about the Earl Hebner thing. In my head canon, I can explain it because even back to WrestleMania main event against Steve Austin, he's going, this is for you, Earl, when he's um, in hospital. So they clearly have some form of friendship outside the ring and we can all think back to what happened in Montreal. So this is just Earl Hebner just being a friend more than a referee and I can get away with that. And then from... The points that Shawn Michaels super kicks triple H in the face with the chair is probably the most joyous beat down of a heel I've I've felt as a wrestling fan. The the kip up, the boost up that he gets after that. Again, I'm with the crowd. I'm cheering at the edge of my seat. The smile on the face of him as he brings out the ladder that is the most synonymous. He is the man responsible, arguably, for that match becoming what it is today in the WWF. And the fact that he is feeling all that motion coming through is, is again, amazing to me. His superplex where he lands on his sides to avoid landing on his back is a, a really nice, subtle touch. Again, you don't know whether that's him doing this because he's in pain or whether he's actually just doing this because it's good psychology. And then from the moment that Triple H gets on his back on that table, to the minute that he turns around smiling with a bloodied face of what he's just done to Sean. I think is is actively perfect. There's nothing wrong with that closing sequence. The the crowd passion. The Shawn Michaels spots that he executes. The commentary from JR and King. I have I loved the finish. I think Chris summed up perfectly. They needed to give both men an out. And Triple H has now firmly cemented himself as the next top bastard what he just did to someone who was as beloved as Sean in this match. Yeah, they, this match took me on an emotional journey generally, and nothing has done that to me in the, in the years I've been watching wrestling. I don't necessarily have again, the same catalog that maybe Rory and Eric have on this show. But to me, this, this was everything I could have wanted in a wrestling match. And it's the perfect either swan song match for sean to say farewell thank you for everything you did in the 90s in the ring say what you will about him outside the ring i know everything like that but in the ring he's been an absolute joy to watch and if this is the start of a second career arc what a fucking start you could give and what an announcement to say that Shawn michaels is back yeah this is my favorite match i don't know what more i can say <laughs>
3: rory follow that
0: no just impossible so i'm just going to say this for now <laughs> well done dan well done indeed for getting your best match nomination papers in by the end of august oh even after the eloquence of the last 20 minutes from all three of you guys there are still the proverbial lots to unpack here i want to talk about triple h because of course i do i'm going to be nice about him <laughs> you're all sitting down aren't you okay right Triple H for the 35 minutes he was on screen during this match was everything that the Triple H character should be. Because it was rather ambivalent at the end of July, we didn't really get a chance to talk about him cementing his heel turn. That happened at the beginning of this month when we found out he was the perpetrator of the car park attack with that lovely bit of surveillance camera work. If only it was that easy. Very briefly on his babyface run, I was about to call it a failure and with the best one in the world, that would be unfair because his run as a babyface from the start of this year only needed to achieve three things. He needed to get the ultra pop at Madison Square Garden on January the 7th. Needed to win the Royal Rumble. Needed to win the undisputed WWE F at the time title at WrestleMania. By those terms, his babyface run acquitted itself. It was all over by then, really. It's very unfortunate that he walked headlong into the Hulk Hogan 1987 nostalgia train and it squashed him flat just a month later. After that, he has yet another match with somebody he's already decisively beaten about 45,000 times and decisively beat him the forty-five thousand and first and first time. Then he had that match with The Undertaker at King of the Ring, which is something else we'll be discussing again in four months' time, albeit in a slightly different category, I would just suspect, Mr. Welling. And now here he is, doing what he does best. The guy doesn't work as a face, in the most literal terms and in the most metaphorical terms. He's slow. He's cold. He's calculating. He is the sort of person who can get away with hitting 50 backbreakers in a match and having it tell a story. He can do that. He's brilliant at it. He didn't do much different from that in 2000 when he rightly won our Worker of the Year award. I suppose you could call him a cerebral assassin when the character alignment allows him to do so. So Triple H needs to stay healed now for a considerable amount of time. I was getting rather lonely being the only person who was booing him over the last seven months. Come and join me again. Believe me, the water's lovely. This match was perfect in quotation marks The WWE played an absolute blinder by booking this as a no disqualification street fight we'll overlook the unsanctioned thing for now we all know how stupid it is we'll just call it a no disqualification street fight they covered their asses perfectly by making this the match because nobody went into it expecting slash wanting Michael's just go in there and turn back the clock, as they say, and pull out a pure four and a half star plus in ring performance that we got from him week after week between 1994 and 1998. That wasn't the story here. It wouldn't have fit the build up. So that's one thing. But it didn't fit what Michael's may not have been capable of, which was just getting through 30 minutes of WWE action furthermore you take into account the fact that he was beaten from pillar to post in this context now, even the Shawn michaels haters out there and <laughs> probably a bigger pool of Shawn michaels haters than people who don't think kurt angle is a great worker by the way you know you must have the proverbial heart of stone to not have some modicum of sympathy for the guy when he's been kneed in the back and chaired in the back and knee chair backbreaker in the back for the umpteen time and he's there and he's contorted and pain is written all over his face it was all so real which is why it's only perfect in quotation marks when I go back and watch Ricky Steamboat versus Randy Savage from Wrestlemania 3 which I do a lot I can get reinvested in the story that a few months beforehand Randy Savage crushed Ricky Steamboat's throat. And now the dragon is out for revenge. Here, Shawn Michaels back has legitimately, legitimately existed in name only. So when you're watching this match for the first time as I was way past the midnight hour here in the UK a couple of days ago. I was outright fearing for the man's life. So when he eventually nailed the roll up and got the three account, I'm with Dan on this one. I don't think I've ever been so happy as the result of a pro wrestling match in my entire life. I watched this match again for review purposes just before he we went up on air. I didn't feel even a tenth of the way I did because I know that Shawn Michaels is he's OK. Now, thank God he is OK. Bloody hell. But the story was so true to life because they weren't kayfabing a whole lot of this but now we know that Michael's back is mercifully in good condition after all it lost something again on second viewing that's not the match's fault it's not the WWE's fault not Triple H's fault not sure Michael's fault but if we're going to call this an all-time classic it needs to be something I can revisit again And I have very little doubt, based on what Dan said, that in four months' time, I will have the opportunity to do so. And I hate to say this, but I think I might like it even a little less on third viewing. I cannot reinvest myself in this match like I can the very, very best WWF-E matches, which, let's be honest, are all story-led anyway. This was a munificent performance from both men. And Michael's had some doubts before this, which <laughs> pretty ironic when you think about it. But I tell you what, they were elayed. What a magnificent performance from the man. And Triple H was what Triple H should be. I will never forget how I felt when I first watched this match less than 24 hours ago. But I'm never going to be able to replicate it. And that's what really hurts.
3: I don't think I can follow that either. So I'm just going to bring us all crashing back down to earth by
0: recapping <laughs> what happened next. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we were just spilling time to get to that really. Before time. we get That's to priority, the main isn't. event. Yeah. Howard Finkel is here.
3: He tells us he's got to get some things off his chest. Howard mentions that this is the same arena where he announced WrestleMania 2. Trish Stratus makes her way down to the ring. Finkel says two weeks ago she slapped him in the face and last week she pushed him into puddled mud. Uh, Finkel says uh, that just because she's in the arena with the Long Island skanks doesn't give her the right to interrupt him. Uh, Trish said that she's here to apologise and talks about how she's realised that Howard has a sexy voice. Finkel says it's a dog eat dog world because she's got the puppies and he's got his wiener. Yes? He really said that. Trish hugged him. Finkel said that this was a pleasant surprise. She says the real surprise is Lillian Garcia, who showed up behind Finkel. Garcia slapped Finkel, kicked him low, and Trish's music played as she celebrated with Garcia to end whatever the hell this was. Does anyone have any comments and any of that?
0: Again, I'm still deciding on my mark for this show. <laughs> I think uh,
1: I just think that like manager and referee storylines. Can we just get more of them? They're always great, <laughs> and, and 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 ring announcers too. All three: managers, referees, and ring announcers. Those three. That's what we need.
2: I was still in tears by this point, so I didn't really care. <laughs> <laughs> with with that epic
3: segment cataloged, I think is only right that I hand over for our coverage of the main event of the evening.
1: Thank you. Uh, And uh, mercifully, uh, out of that uh, short segment uh, involving Howard Finkel, uh, we recap uh, what is about to be the main event of SummerSlam. Uh, We see Brock uh, running through King of the Ring and most of the uh, WWE roster, and we see that The Rock uh, beat Angle and Undertaker. Uh, as well in the lead up uh, to this uh, we see lesnar out first and what's interesting is paul hayman uh, is described as brock's agent uh, and so that's a unique relationship there not the first time but I always like to point it out that he's not his manager uh, rocky uh, appropriately sprints to start the melee with fists, but brock gets a massive belly to belly suplex for a two uh-oh rocky sucks chance Brock with a couple of backbreakers for two. They're getting louder. Brock works the ribs in the corner and boots to the outside. Brock sends Rock into the crowd over the barricade and then drops Rock on the barricade neck first. Back in the ring, Brock hits a belly to belly. Rock counters with fists, but Heyman trips Rock on the ropes. Brock and Heyman work over the rock together. And here's Taz hoping Brock wins so that Heyman can pay everyone he owes money to back. Uh, The match slows as Brock works the ribs in the corner. The Rock moves and Brock goes into the post, shoulder first. They're getting louder. Brock tries to take Brock down with clotheslines and he hits a DDT for a two. Heyman distracts and the Rock nails Heyman, which allows the Rock to hook the sharpshooter, I think. Uh, Heyman back on the apron and he tosses a chair into the ring But the rock brings in Heyman over the rope Brock gets the chair and drives it into the rock's injured ribs Brock locks on that bear hug and goes down to the ground with it The ref check the arm He's down once, down twice But not a third time The rock hooks up to audible boos from the crowd Heyman distracts But Rock hits a low blow. The Rock connects with fists and sends Brock to the outside. In fairness, there are some Rock cheers too by this point in the match. On the outside, the Rock clears the Spanish announce table and takes out Heyman again. And the Rock slingshots Brock into the ring post. Rock bottom on Heyman through the table. And Taz is elated. In the ring, the Rock sets up for a Rock bottom and hits it. But Brock kicks out at two. Brock springs up for his own rock bottom, and the rock kicks out at two. Both men up, and the rock gets the spine buster and sets for the people's elbow. Nice knowing you, Brock. But wait. Lesnar springs up, nails the lariat, hoists the rock up for the F5, countered into the rock bottom, countered again, F5 set up, and Brock hits it. Kyoto counts one. Kyoto counts two. Kyoto counts three. Brock Lesnar pins The Rock to win the undisputed WWF championship in a fast-paced 16 minutes and one second. Two proud men, two national champions, The
4: Rock in college football. Brock Lesnar in college wrestling. And tonight going for the most prestigious prize in sports entertainment today. The undisputed title. Rock West, I'm so very surprised that's an fact the mid five right there. Small Buster! Small Buster! And here it comes! For which Tad Rock Nail his pupil now, Bobby! The most electrifying move in Sports entertainment, 10th of K on any day! You've seen it There's so many times, Lester's Rock! A play What a hit! What a hit! Rock's like a low backer, almost taking the lock out of his boots! Here he is! Oh no! It's a five count pull! And the rock counter, mean? the rock counter, and the promo pull with one hand. battling back. Let's block the rock bottom. And look out, wait for another rock bottom. The look, Gunter, look, look. Rock back Lester, he's down! Oh, man. And look oh, out, five and F5 to the rock. The cover Blood.
1: Dan?
2: All they care about is being the absolute best. And I think that this was all about passing the torch to the better man. And I think they told that story really well throughout this whole match, where The Rock is a fantastic athlete, but Brock Lesnar is just a little bit better in every way than The Rock when it comes to in ring Um, and I think they told that straight away when the rock sprints in hits right hands and then gets hit immediately hit with a belly-to-belly suplex and every time he tries to fight back Lesnar could find a way to counter and overpower him and that eventually caught up with him you know even when it came down to Lesnar kicking out clean as a sheet to a rock bottom he didn't need a belt. He didn't need Heyman. He didn't need some other interference. He could beat The Rock clean as a sheet with an F five, and I think this was this is probably the uh, the best passing the torch match that I can think of where there's no chicanery. There's no kind of like Hogan doing the job to Yokozuna or you know Shawn Michaels desperately trying to fight his way through. is a broken back versus Austin this is the best and Torch moment I can think of and there's no doubt in my mind that Lesnar's going to be the guy for this ruthless aggression you know phase of the WWE and they can take him wherever they want really because as you clearly mentioned Eric they are on the verge of making Lesnar cheerable because they were not keen on the rock at all in this crowd and The only time I think you can do that is if you get him away from Heyman ASAP, because the only time there was unanimous cheering was when Heyman went through the table. Um, And Goldberg has clearly proven that you can still have a beast as a champion that just beats all heel challenges coming straight through to him. And eventually you build to a face on face mega clash, wherever that may be. Um, but they can also keep him as a heel, because like he, I don't think his, his promo ability is as strong, and it, it doesn't work. His voice does not match his physique. It was him. Let's get him, fellas. <laughs> and I think that they want to make him a heel, and they keep him a heel with Heyman as his mouthpiece. They can absolutely do that, too. I think he's the world's his oyster, basically. He's this good in the ring he's this athletic he's this gifted that putting the belt on him and then working out what they want to do with him is is doable because this guy is the prototypical wwe champion um and with the rock on his way out i think this is the best time for him to just shoot the rocket to this guy and let's see what happens um great match i i really enjoyed it and let's see what happens with the new face of the company
1: He's 25 years old with less than two years of experience. This is nearly unprecedented when you factor in his age and his ability and his rise. Rory, do you agree?
0: I absolutely agree. And it does not hair out of place here. Everything you've just said there about Brock Lesnar, Eric, it both matters and it doesn't matter. As I said last month, All they've got to do is just do it. And this proves, as you said earlier, Vince McMahon does listen to this show because they've done it. Brock Lesnar is now the undisputed WWE champion. And there's nothing I can dispute about that fact. After just four months on the main roster, he is where he deserves to be. He's where he needs to be. He's where he should be. I'm not too concerned about the future at this point whether they turn him face, which they must be tempted to do, whether he stays with Heyman, who his next challengers are. I'm not really that bothered right now. I'm just delighted and relieved that the WWE have done the right thing. There was no other outcome here that Brock Lesnar, who's marauded through the entire Federation, become the world champ at SummerSlam. Let's talk about the match that got us there. Fucking marvellous WWE style main event. Bit of a hybrid, probably forty percent work rate, sixty percent sports entertainment, but I think with the rock making more sporadic appearances these days, and he doesn't need to give his ultimate best as a worker. He's not facing Chris Benoit here, for example, he's not driving anything to prove in the ring, then I think a forty sixty split is perfectly acceptable. Heyman played his role to perfection. I think he needed to be there as the foil, but he didn't get involved in the match to in any way take away from Lesnar's victory. This was hard hitting. It was tough. It felt like a fight. Unlike WrestleMania 12, it was a match that I think was a natural flow from the sport-based video packages we had for it. Rock running up and down the steps of the Orange Bowl and uh, Brock dousing himself in a nice little ice bath. It felt like they were g themselves up for a proper Clash of the Titans over a sporting accolade. Now, we talked about it at WrestleMania 17, and that's probably the closest we've been. I think this might even have exceeded it, at least in that regard. Rock did his job here, pun intended. I didn't get a chance to talk about how he responded to Hogan, and other people responded to Hogan at WrestleMania 18, but I rather suspect I will soon enough. So I'm just going to pile in here while I can. Just brilliant stuff from The Rock here. I think on this podcast, we blackened The Rock's name more than most and definitely more than we should. I give him an infinite world of credit on this one. Brought his A game as a performer, not as a wrestler, but that didn't matter, as a performer. And he realized after three or four minutes what way the winds were blowing. And he didn't just lean into it as some people are giving him faint praise, he outright worked heel for the remaining 12 minutes of the match. He thought, okay, 30% of the crowd are booing me. I tell you what, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to make it 90% of the crowd are booing me. So when Lesnar does get that win, and he pins me clean as a sheet in the middle of the ring with his finishing move, you're going to pop that extra 10% louder. It's so simple, this stuff. It doesn't need to be complicated. I think, if anything, we're guilty on these programmes of overcomplicating stuff to give ourselves a lot to talk about but that's why we get followed and sometimes listen to but mainly followed but this is so refreshing that this was everything it needed to be Brock Lesnar beats The Rock with his finishing move after kicking out of The Rock's finishing move in about 15 minutes and becomes the world champion full stop Chris White bring us home
3: I'm not sure what I could add to everything that's already been said about this match. Obviously, I completely agree and echo all of the thoughts. I mean, the key thing I took away from this is, like, it's as clean as this could ever be. Like, there's a good five-minute gap between Heyman being a factor in this match and, and Brock winning, you know? Like, there's no semblance of, like, even with the Hogan matches, like... The thing that leads to the finish there's, there's nothing like that this is as definitive as you can get for and for a guy who's been around for four months and is as inexperienced as he is like he just doesn't ever come across that way he he looks like a an abnormality and i mean that in the best possible way i suppose it's like he He's very very different to Kurt Angle. I know obviously the amateur wrestling background is is there not to Olympic gold medal standard but certainly to a, a very significant degree with with Brock Lesnar but it is it's not the same like the it's it's the it's the power that's unique to him uh, combined with like a cruiserweight's agility with like a super heavyweight's strength that's so unique and like his rise is purely a reflection i think of how he's one of the most unique looking and performing professional wrestlers that i've ever encountered like he has a combination of abilities and skills that's like scary. He's like a, a created wrestler on a video game like where you've like input your own stats and you shouldn't be allowed to turn the pace and the agility up that high if the strength is on max and he's got all of it and he's been around this long and he's got good people around him like Paul Heyman who can be in his ear and s- steer him in ways through the business that he's very new to then like the sky's the limit with Brock Lesnar and this is a a great match and on many matches on many cards would have been the best match of the night but on here um fell slightly short of that just in my opinion but um yeah what else is there to say just staggeringly good the right the right match the right guy in there with him in the rock and the right outcome
1: and the timing, I think the timing is really good too, because you put the belt on Brock here, and you've got seven months to WrestleMania, and you, that gives you plenty of time to just have this guy just keep getting wins in the main event of shows against, you know, guys to level, you know, slightly below the Rock, and then you have seven months, eight months, however long until Mania to, you know, whether it's Triple H, whether it's Austin, if he can get through these personal problems that he's having you know, maybe a rejuvenated Undertaker, you know, just you've got tons of time to build this guy up even more than what he is and then build somebody of an equal or slightly equal caliber for him to go up against at WrestleMania. And I think when booking is simple and when booking is obvious, wrestling is at its best. And I I think the WWE has really stumbled onto something here where like your world champion is Brock Lesnar and he's going to main event wrestlemania against somebody that you want to see him either defeat or defeat him and everything after that is is cake let's go golfing so um i think the next you know the stretch between here and wrestlemania is going to be super interesting because they're clearly building this guy to be the next hogan you know in his own way to be the next austin and how how they get there to me is you know in itself compelling enough television to 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 tune in every day and if it is somebody like triple h and and, and lesnar wins all the better um but i think we're you know maybe we're looking too far ahead on this but the point is and i think that the, the point that we're all seeing is like this is not this is not a guy who you know slipped by the rock to you know transition the belt to somebody else and is going to go away or slide back into the midcard this guy is the real fucking deal and he's going to be around a long time uh you know barring injury so uh, i think this outcome was was stellar I think it was the perfect way to end the show um and I think the crowd is into the sky way more than maybe anybody expected this soon so all good things to say about this match uh, about the rock here uh, about Lesnar and about Heyman uh so uh one you know one last I, I, I want to yeah. say
3: Eric sorry just before we we pivot away from this match is that I feel like there's an alternate timeline where WWE SummerSlam 2002. Whoever's booking out the the running order of these matches, so I guess Vince is he's got Triple H in his ear, and that match goes on last. Like, and I think the fact that I, obviously this was for the undisputed title, but I think having this is a it, have, the fact that this match went on after Sean and Hunter, I think, is another feather in his cap in the sense that different guys may have been relegated here but he won't be and he's so early into this main roster WWE run that the fact that he's been given the main event when they had an emotional and huge match that they could have gone with instead just reflects really well on him
1: I think that's a really, I think that's a really stellar point and and, and really keen to observe, um, and I think it means something. Um, it, it really does. Uh, so, the show goes off the air with world champion uh, Brock Lesnar, and I'll turn it back over to our uh, our, our leader uh, Rory to to bring us home for this uh, this show and for this volume.
0: Indeed, time to rank out of ten. I think and you know what I'm not going to chicken out of this. I'm going to rank it first, captain's innings, and all of that. This is a 100% must-see pay-per-view. There's too much great stuff, too much important stuff, too much memorable stuff for this to be an event you should even consider skipping. It's it's another one of those of the few where I would have no objection to you just pressing the pause button for two hours, 40 minutes, watching the thing and then coming back to us. In fact, I'm going to say you should do that. We know our place. Okay, welcome back. However, and you knew however was coming after seven years, you've worked out my cadence all now, haven't you? There was a lot of stuff on this show I would change. There was the ludicrous segment between the two big main events that didn't need to be there, which is pure audience of one stuff. We glossed over it probably just as well, but the continual Bischoff versus Stephanie. I talked a lot about that last month. I'm not going to repeat myself on that one, but the LDR nobody cares there was my response to the Flair Jericho match which I think was the worst match of the night mm-hmm, exactly look at the other one I did the play by play for and I think the crowd were a little bit in and out at times as well all of that has to be taken into consideration this is a real heart versus head situation I'd love to give this show a 10 but I can't that's not to say I'm not giving it a 10 because it wasn't perfect. WrestleMania 17 wasn't perfect. But that had all the intangibles that coalesced together to make something that almost transcended professional wrestling. This was just an immensely satisfying pro wrestling show. But I don't want anybody to listen to that and think that I'm denigrating it or, again, damning it with faint praise or doing anything from behind my hand. I'm not. Let's do it. Nine out of ten for SummerSlam 2002. Easily the best show since Invasion and almost certainly the best show since WrestleMania 17. There are problems here. are Insurmountable ones, if I'm honest. But can you really imagine with the highs that we've taken you through over the last two hours? Not joining us by not watching this show? I don't think so. Nine out of ten. Now watch me be the low scorer. Dan.
2: Um, so yes, all of your points are correct in terms of that crap Howard Finkel segment, the Bischoff-Stephanie segments and the crowd. But I generally couldn't give a shit about them because they're, they're, they're not important. They're toilet break segments and ultimately they're backstage segment. You aren't buying a pay-per-view for backstage segments and cool down moments you're buying a pay-per-view for the wrestling and the storylines and the the moments that make wrestling watchable and how it's going to evolve and you know i've criticized and take a test and but it doesn't i don't think it's a bad match and i don't think it's a markdown level match i think flair jericho was fine I thought everything else on this show was at least good. And in the main events, if the main event's great, awesome. You've got an all-time great opener, as I established at the start of the show. And you've got my favourite match on it. So, realistically, yeah, 10. Sod
0: it. 10 out of 10, baby. I'm either glad I went first or not at all glad I went first. Give me time to think about it. Eric Landstrom.
1: You've been to a really nice restaurant and it's got you know perfect reviews and everybody in your life that you trust says that it's great and you sit down and you, you order and they've got everything you want and everything's technically perfect and the cocktails are perfect and the steak is cooked perfectly and you know the the waitresses uh uh or, or the, the 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 staff is great and the hostess is cute and you know you, you you gum it up with the with the staff and your you know your significant other or whoever you're there with has just the best time ever and everything is technically perfect and then there's just something that's not quite not quite there and you can't explain it and you can't put your finger on it and your buddy dan is telling you this is the best steak he's ever had in his life and your buddy rory's saying this is one of the better steaks you'll ever have in your life Um, and you think he has a good steak. It's really good. I'll probably come back here. Um, but, you know, I don't know that I would join the minions of saying that you have to come to this restaurant. And I think that's the show for me. And I don't know what it is. And I can't put my finger on it. And I watched it twice. And I was in a good mood. And the results were generally good. And Chris Jericho lost and The Rock lost and I should be (laughs) over the moon. And Shawn Michaels and Triple H had one of the best WWF matches you'll ever see probably. Um, or at least you know upper echelon level and Brock Lesnar's incredible and Benoit and RVD uh came out of this with swollen cheeks and 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 eyes and you know I can't I can't tell you what it is but I I just think that this show does not quite reach the level of a of a 9 or a 10 show I can't explain it. Nothing that I've said is justifying it, but for me there's just that little missing je ne sais quoi I think for me this is an 8 out of 10 show. And I I can't really explain why other than it just didn't quite for me rise to the level of when I think of SummerSlam 2002, I will think of the all-time wrestling cards. Um but that is in no way to disparage what truly was a very good and and uh thinking back on this year uh as it's gone so far at the moment probably the leader in the clubhouse for show of the year uh but that's the best i can give you eight out of ten
0: i love this podcast i really do chris white where are we going now to bring this one home
3: i had a score written down and i quite often deviate from it but i'm not going to in this instance i i'm going to give this show a nine out of ten it's it's it it is not on the level of a wrestlemania 17 for me but it is so clearly a great show but when i do my like typical run through of like i'm starting on a five and i'm gonna plus or minus some things there's probably four matches on this show out of eight that are just neither plus nor minus you know they're fine but like i didn't buy the pay-per-view for this show it's not offensively bad i don't think it's great it's just a it's just a match you know there's the opener is a huge plus i'm giving it two points for the street fight and then the main event and i think everything in between is all right i don't think there's anything on this show like i'm not like the finkel stuff i'm not going to take a mark off for that but i think i just settle on a nine and i I don't know if that is low or high now <laughs> based on everyone else's uh, reviews. But I, yeah, that's, that's where I settled after watching this show and having discussed it, I've not been, I've not been swayed either way. I, I'm I'm pretty content with that. I think it's gonna, probably going to be the show of the year. Like it will be bloody lucky if it isn't, I guess, but, um, <sighs> Yeah, I can't I can't go to 10 for it. And WrestleMania 17 at 10 was probably the easiest overall score I had to give a pay-per-view the entire time I've been involved with this project at 10. And this is just not not there for me. So nine out of 10.
2: So just just to, for for Rory and Chris, is this show better than Royal Rumble 2001? Because that's the other show that we've all been like, this is... <sighs> Tippity top, and we gave it
0: 9.5. It's always, Yeah, it, that's a really tough one, in all fairness. Because um, a Rumble pay per view obviously has fewer matches on it, there's less opportunities to slip up. Yeah. Rumble is probably therefore a slightly more consistent show. But, oh, yeah, in all fairness to SummerSlam, it's got more opportunities to take a bit of a downturn than the Rumble pay per view. If you only had, buddy, China Ivory there, that Was going to. And it did so in spades. Oh you've got me thinking now. No I do think Rumble 01. Is a slightly better pay per view. With those important caveats in mind. But it's close. I'm I'm, I'm pretty content. With having.
3: WrestleMania 17. At a 10. Rumble 01. At a 9.5. And this at a 9. The ivory china stuff was. Obviously. Yeah, bad. Obviously bad. But it's probably like a three minute match.
0: I would say that night. was probably a blacker mark than anything on this show.
3: Yeah, that is fair. That is fair.
2: Just keep talking. I, I'll bring you up eventually.
3: Come on.
0: I don't
3: I could not be talked into giving this show a 10, but I'd, I'd probably need to rewatch the Rumble. But I, I on the face of it, I'm content with those three ratings.
0: Just wait for our show of the year official award in four months time, Dan. I'm sure you'll be <laughs> happy enough then. Uh, now, much like SummerSlam 02 itself did, I think it's time to go off the air very, very quickly and head back into Time Machine. we return to august 2022 huh, that was pretty seamless wasn't it it's like i'd never been away Whew, finally that was more of a roller coaster than the pay-per-view itself uh eric thank you i think
1: you think i had a great time uh, me too. A super, is,
0: i've been, just been through the ringer let's say that in the best possible way
1: this would be a super boring podcast if we all agreed all the time Absolutely. there's plenty of re- there are plenty of wrestling podcasts where the hosts all agree with each other so check those ones out um no, this is great. and I love it. And you know, I think that you know two thousand and two has its own uh, warts and its own problems. and i'm I'm really happy to see that despite that. the Fed can pull off probably what is one of its best shows of the last twenty years, despite my, you know, the thing about it is it's just no Steve Austin. and it's that, that just you just need that here, I think, to to really push it over the top and to to have a it's going to be tough it's going to be tough without austin i think uh and i think we're for me we're kind of seeing that here but this is probably the best show that they could have done at the time without steve austin
0: definitely agree with that chris white that was something it certainly was it was a lot of fun i tell you that but he wasn't all and dan you've waited 20 years so you calm down now <laughs>
2: I, I yeah I this was the show that I was looking forward to reviewing the most because it's for me Wrestlemania 17 is always a pleasure but everyone knows how brilliant that show is so I I the show obviously for this and it's still as brilliant as I remembered and I couldn't bring it down I I, I, I tried to find a, a a reason to to market 9.5 and I can't because the, the awesome. stuff that is bad is so inconsequential to what I love in wrestling or care about, should I say. Good for you. Yes. And it's always <laughs> good that the biggest, you know, flashpoint of a show which involves me and Eric came from you and Eric this time regarding Ric Flair's music, which is always a plus.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it's not as if an eight, ten, an 8 out of 10 show and a 10 out of 10 show are, are all that different after The shows that we've covered in the 10 year history of this podcast, I mean, an eight a nine and a 10 is all just you must watch this. And so I don't the levels of disagreement here are very technical. And and so I think it, it comes down to this is one of the inherently watchable shows that we'll cover on the show no matter what.
0: You were an eight. Dan was a ten. Just means Chris White and I were right. That's all. No harm done. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I really, really should. I've been busy the last seven months. It's, uh that's got to be as an average of nine, if my maths are correct. So I mean, pretty sure be one a, of our I'm pretty sure top
2: it's top five. I? It's pretty, I think it's it's easy top five. It may be top three. I'm pretty sure roll number is. Is second, because that got an average of 9.5 yes. after WrestleMania 17, obviously. I can't think of an ECW or WCW show that had that high an average.
0: Well, there have been some shows where we only had two panelists where we went really high. Remember, Chris, we were on No Way Out 2001. I think I gave that a nine. Mm. I think you might have done two, although I do think it's a better show than that, to be perfectly honest.
1: Heatwave 98 was very well received as well.
0: Yeah, I gave that eight and a half, I think. I think you and Chris went high. I, I, I know. I'm, I'm sure there's a wrestling 20 years ago historian out there. Is this
2: the only other 10 that's been given?
0: Lacey, I was just going to say that, Dan. Yeah, not think. So. I don't think Lacey gave an ECW show a 10. I don't think he did.
2: See, history maker.
0: There we go. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like I should say, everybody. It's not at all like Dan actually outright petitioned to be on this show. No, he didn't message us and say I want in on SummerSlam 2002, and nothing remotely like it. So it just happened we chose him for this one, and a 10 out of 10 was his personal result. <laughs> Serendipitous, eh? <laughs> I'm going to show this one. my day. card now. I don't have any other choice. <laughs> oh, <of the> <laughs> <laughs> we'll wait to see what I'm going to punish you with over the remaining four months. Uh, any anything else? Anybody's got to plug before we go off the air today? Before have a bit of an announcement nope just go to
1: twitter at wrestling 20yrs you know where to find us if you're listening to us at this point
0: find us on there and find adam on the facebook too uh doing a week by week really 20 years ago fascinating piece he doesn't it and speaking of adam he will be joining us myself and chris white and pete kimber and daniel dewitt at clash at the castle oh yes indeed a week from now, as this show goes out, and we will be doing some special programming here on the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We'll be taking the time machine with us. We'll be inviting Dan and Eric onto that one for 2042 so they can sit tight. But we will be doing some live presentations, some form of audio diary, and then hopefully we'll be getting together afterwards to do a bit of a post show review as well. But there will be some Clash at the Castle programming on the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast because let's face it, there has to be. Chris, very quickly, we'll talk about this at length when we get there in well, just 12 days time from now, but just a quick 30 seconds, Clash at the Castle, looking forward to it. You know, you and I locking horns to the first time, notwithstanding.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm really looking forward to the, the weekend. I think it's going to be a really fun time. I can't wait to uh, meet of the guys that I've not met before over the years who have been doing the show with me. Um i wish uh we could do this sort of thing more you know meet up more i wish i could meet all of you um because i like i have I been online uh podcast friends for so long it feels only right that that translates into real life at some stage um yeah i mean i wasn't like set on even going to the show <laughs> and then a friend of mine uh who is not involved in podcasts messaged me and said i've got two tickets do you want one and i was like all right yeah sure um so now I'm there uh kind of looking forward to the show I mean it will be a spectacle it will be it will feel big you know so that side of things will be good and I'm really looking forward to Gunther and Seamus so I think that will be fun um aside from that just hanging out and meeting with people that I enjoy talking with you know I think it'll be a really fun weekend so
0: yeah can't wait to share a toast with you chris over given summerslam 2002 nine out of ten <laughs> <laughs> those who know know, my friend yeah so looking forward to meeting you and the rest of the guys it's been far too long but i haven't met any of you on this podcast before which is an outright disgrace absolutely fucking wrong and i cannot wait to hang out with you in 11 12 days time i'm gonna have a lot a lot of memories gonna have a lot of fun gonna record as much as i can in, dare say i'll edit out a bit of it as well but we'll try and keep you the water all experience on this podcast that probably should be landing i reckon about two weeks from now probably a good week or so after the event but we'll be doing some stuff say from the venue or as close to it as we could possibly get and maybe a little post show recorded a couple of days down the line but of course as far as the day job is concerned do watch out for our september show on the wrestling 20 years ago podcast back in the time machine as normal again i'm in the hot seat for that one dropping at the end of september but for now from chris White. From Dan Welling, Eric Landstrom, I've been Rory McNamara. It's fantastic to be back here on this wonderful podcast. And we'll see you again next time. Thanks for listening. Go. Somebody <laughs> be good enough to hit the stop
4: button. Yeah, working on that.